A word to the wise. We are an explicit podcast tackling content with adult themes as well as entering spoiler territory if you aren't caught up with us. That point this week would be through section three, part three, King. We finished part three. I think that's it. Crossland's voice is shot, so I'm doing the intro and I get to say whatever I want because we're live. And uh, yeah. Through chapter let's, 38. Let's, chapter 38. That's more what I was waiting for. Um, <laughs> it's right there in the notes. Yeah, I'm not looking at the notes. Hey there, this is Cross. And I'm PJ. And we are Words and Whiskey, a podcast for veteran and novice readers alike. We tackle fiction novels and love to talk about what we're drinking. You should think of us as your intoxicating weekly book club. I love fucking with you, Crossland. I really do. I'm fully aware. (laughs) The rain is coming down in sheets. I am ill, and you are still fucking with me. (laughs) What kind of friend would I be if I didn't? Very true. Very true. A good one, maybe. I mean, you are you are a good one, regardless of the fuckery or not. So let's well, we can just we can just leave it at that. <laughs> I am ill, folks. So in case you can't tell, apologies on my side for my voice. I will do as little talking this week as possible to ensure that we get this done. Literally, it feels like the world has conspired to prevent us from getting out this episode this week, and so we refuse to not get it out because we have not missed a week since we started. So fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, needless to say, today is our seventh episode discussing The Wall of Ascension by Brandon Sanderson, Mr. Branderson, and we are going to chat about chapters 34 through 38. And real quick, before we talk about our drinks, I just want to say congratulations to Brandon Sanderson for running the biggest fucking Kickstarter of all time. Yeah. I think it's like 41.7 million doubled up the pebble time, of which I bought and backed um on kickstarter so like i have been a part of the two biggest kickstarters of all time but also (laughs) just insane absolutely mind-boggling it's crazy absolutely crazy i'm excited for it though i backed it i think you did as well you did the big kahuna one right Right. Well, it's so my my thought process behind doing the big kahuna one for us at the very least, because we're going to be covering those books um, on our short pour channel quarterly as they come out next year. Also, uh, because we're going to be stuck in the not stuck, but we are going to be reading a majority of the existing Cosmere over the next couple of years i don't know i don't know what time frame i want to give on that because of how i don't know how big red rising six is or how long it's going to take or whatever so between 2023 and 2024 goal is is to finish through god i'm committing to so much right now but i think we can do it through stormlight five the first arc that's that's all that i'm going to promise though for that before we do anything else because i'm fucking loving those books and they're really good and i'm not shitting on mistborn or anything but who boy wow 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 wow! that's a that's a long time in the future bud i fucking <laughs> will be 30 <laughs> I, I don't want to think about it <laughs> did i say 2024 or did i say 2025 i it would it should what? only take us 
You said 2024. You did. 2023, 24. Yeah, I think that'll be about it because I started to book them out and I think we can do basically one of those books a quarter if you don't also have scroll. <laughs> and so we can read a little bit more and parse them out. You'll be done with it soon. So even when it comes to some of the Mistborn episodes in Era 2, we're going to go a smidge faster. That way we can also be larger and cover more character moments and beats and blah blah i'm ranting a lot about like what we're going to do in the future mostly because i'm very excited so the reason i did the big kahuna bundle though is because if we're going to be doing this for like the next two-ish years having some of that swag for like background shit for photos of drinks and stuff awesome great yeah, great to have fair. in addition to just already the small previews that they gave of things that were going to come in the boxes seemed great and so i i initially backed with that and i was like after i see the previews i'll redecide and i decided to stick with it so perfect when's that first book yeah. come uh q1 2023 oh gotcha yeah so a bit because they're yeah, doing they final publishing edits on everything and lining everything up and yeah mm-hmm. i want to say it's january but i'm not positive on that i think it's january gotcha. 2023 cool perfect all right pj what are you drinking today I've got a drink known as a bum boat. I don't remember if I did it on the show yet. Did I? I don't know. I think I've, you might have, but... Okay. Maybe... No, you didn't do no. it on the show. You you did it within the Patreon. You, you sent yep. some photos. You've done a couple of them, test runs yep. and stuff like that. Some test yep. runs. Yeah. Yep. That sounds about right. So this comes out of Smuggler's Cove which is a bar in and also a very, very good tiki cocktail book. I, I haven't been there. I just got the book. So very well-renowned tiki bar, but they put out this recipe book and just really cool historical book on tiki. It's awesome. Highly recommend it. But the bum boat, one and a half ounces of lemon juice, two ounces of pineapple juice, 0.75 ounces of cinnamon syrup, an ounce of rye, an ounce of rum, three drops of almond extract, six drops of tiki bitters, and then all shaken. I think it... Oh, no, no, not this one. So open poured into my little glass tiki mug and then floated with three quarters of an ounce of overproof rum. Hold that up again. Oh my God, PJ, how are you going to survive? <laughs> PJ is already halfway done with the drink. We did do a longer than average devil's cut, so I do understand. We did. But, uh, also, do you, see, do you see that dark line? That's, that's all the, the overproof. overproof. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's going to... Oh boy. You get to that last. <laughs> what yeah. are you following that up with? My, my back half beer is mm-hmm. Hazy IPA from Half Acre. I think I had the double daisy cutter last week. Yes. So same same brewery, their hazy IPA called Tome. Tome. Excited to give that cool. a shot. That's awesome. It sounds really tasty, and I'm jealous of the bum boat. I considered making something more serious like that, but I am sick, as is very clear by my voice and whatnot here. So what I did instead is I made a classic medicinal cocktail. Not really medicinal at all. There's no... No, nothing proven in relief here outside of maybe the lemon and the honey of which i didn't even use honey anyway so fuck me i guess but so i made a hot toddy with two ounces of bourbon two circles of lemon you vaguely squeeze them out and then drop them in uh half ounce of simple syrup four ounces of hot water and a cinnamon stick um cinnamon stick is optional by no means do you have to some recipes include it some don't and i made a double of that in my stitch mug because i'm a horrendous human being Boy. you know? 
Sicky boy. Yeah, just trying to get through existence. So I don't have a back half beer. I made a double of this. I would like to get back to drinking beer. It's been, you know, two episodes at this point, like having a beer, but I have not had a beer in a bit. So not for any reason other than being, I guess I did have beer at the show that I ultimately got sick at. So maybe beers cause COVID. It's not, it's not the beer. Yeah. Okay. So with that, let's get into our chapters. We're going to move into the breakdown here with chapter 34. I find this obligator that we're introduced to right away, Norden, really interesting in part because he is deigned to be somewhere in between like the previous racial-esque hierarchy that existed between the nobleman and the ska. He's just kind of a normal person who was able to choose the path of a, of a merchant or an obligator, which I think is really interesting because he just kind of sits in the middle in that way. He's really used as kind of this like arbiter of truth for Ellen by the end of this section, which is why you can see why I cap ended this the way that I did, mm-hmm. um, because it's kind of the it's the beginning and the end perfectly to to Norden's kind of connection here. Not connection, I should say, but, you know, like this this man and sort of this arbiterness that was stupid. Anyway, what do you make of Norden? <laughs> I think it's kind of a strange dynamic. Him being yep. an obligator and us not having really any interactions with them since the first book, right? I don't think yeah, there's been yeah. one. I don't, not one that I can think of. I think we ran into, I feel like there was one in Straff's camp, but we didn't really talk about it that much. Oh, um, yeah. There were a couple in Straff's camp, but we didn't, it's not like we met one or talked with one. It right. also makes them seem kind of meek, right? Like they're like in reality when confronted either because they lost their deity, which could be a thing of why like they've changed a little bit. Or they just always were, but they were given this power vested in them to make all these decisions. I don't know. Without without mm-hmm. their power structure behind them, they're kind of kind of meek. Yeah, cool. We we move from Norden, the obligator, and obviously we'll come back to him uh, here in a bit. But <laughs> rather at the end, Ellen and Sazed though share I think an important moment here for both of their developments. Sazed says that your duty is to lead as best you can, following the dictates of your conscience. You must be true, Your Majesty, to the man you wish to become. If the man is not whom the people wish to have lead them, then they will choose someone else. Trying to guess what people wish of you will only lead to chaos. I think. And damn, if I was if if that wasn't how I wished modern politicking worked in like in general, this is just such a good encapsulation of, you know, the to me, this entire chapter is an encapsulation of like the Marcus Aurelius quote, stop arguing what a good man should be, be one, right, to some degree. Mm-hmm. And Ellen just is that moral paladin, which I will not drop that terminology. I'm going to get a little shirt at this point, a little sticker <laughs> thrown on my chest. Ellen is a moral paladin. Um mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah i just i love that quote i love that idea and that theology or not theology that idea yeah i like how just the way you bring this up it is Mm -hmm. definitely an ideal for like modern politics but it's also kind of an intangible not intangible unattainable ideal here in this book as we're seeing It's still so idealistic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, regardless, I love the way that says it talks in general mm-hmm. and this sort of topic seems to really, really lend itself to says it's voice. I, I don't know why it just, it just matched really well. And I liked listening to him in my head. <laughs> I think some of that is because he's kind of the personification of of religion in a big way. And so he already feels like an authority figure. And so him speaking authorially 
on something like this just registers perfectly. You know, you would almost expect this scene to maybe be written with Tindwill originally, but right. it carries very different weight because it's Sazed and because he's coming at this. And you can imagine that he's, it's less a lesson to be imparted, more philosophy or theology to be explored. It, he even explicitly is, Ellen explicitly says, like, you sound like Tindwill. Yeah, Here. right. Yeah. Yeah. Good call. Yeah. So I, you have a good point, and I think it's intentional. And mm-hmm. I think you're right. Yeah. I don't think it would have just been Tindwell beating a dead horse at this point. But coming from Sazed, one from personal like connections, he really he's proven to trust Sazed's opinion on things. And just having having this other perspective bring it bring it in in the same way is motivating. Yeah, without a doubt. I, I really like this the sort of exchange that happens between the two of them. I, I think it's great. And there are a number of those moments that happen with Sazed inside of this chapter. We get big highlights of kind of our big three characters here a couple of times. And I think they're all critical in great moments. Sazed, Breeze, and Orsur, right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> those those are our three main characters, yes. Especially Orsur, the, uh, the Dogdra, as it were. Don, dog, dong, d- dog. Dongdra. Mm. Dongdra, dong. Oh no! Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. All right. So, <laughs> Vin arrives and makes a quick trip about makes a quick. Oh no! Vin arrives and makes a quick quip about the books and how many people have written them, or how many people have written rather. Before we flip into her perspective and discuss the poisoning of the wells once again, the culmination of this, though I think is Ellen is Vin's read that Ellen is still allowing these people to call him Your Majesty after he's been deposed. This is thought. This thought is kind of further explored as he exerts influence over Tundwell, forcing her out of the room, and again as Vin explores her own thoughts about the pressure he faces as the city's impending doom is upon them. Let me tell you what. I write pretty verbose sentences sometimes. This one <laughs> is a paragraph. <laughs> it is too much. It is too much. Fuck. Good news. It's going to be really easy to clean up in the edit. Yeah, exactly. Yep. I love I think- the script. Sure. Oh. <laughs> I think what's even weirder from Vin's perspective is that he's only now accepting the term Mm -hmm. your majesty after his deposition is deposition correct here, but he he's been deposed and now he's Mm -hmm. accepting of the term your majesty. And I think him sort of facing the reality of being dethroned has shaken him awake to a certain extent. He sees what he actually wants and now understands what it takes to be that person. Either way, it's a little bit of growth for him, but it's kind of too little too late. So that's frustrating, but at the same time, kind of good on you for like being the man that you should be here. Like It's a weird, conflicting sort of, I don't know. But it's like almost too little too late, but not quite because it's only too little too late by the end of this. Right. Like that's that's the issue. But, Mm -hmm. you know, it's he's aspirationally living to some degree. Yeah. He's uh, oh, what's he's using the secret. He's trying to manifest himself like manifest kingship into himself. Right. Right. Exactly. Uh, (laughs) Manifesting himself to be a king, man. But this is the section where like Vin Vin talks about the poison wells, right? You mentioned that. Yeah, yeah. 
I think so that's here. There's something gnawing at me about that in that Elland very clearly says he thought he told Vin about it, like debrief Vin about it, but just kind of writes it off. So either he's just kind of aloof and forgetful and like, I don't know, meant to say it, but didn't. That doesn't seem like him right now, though. So I don't know. I think I'm thinking there's something else going on. I have this weird theory that there's a Chandra doppelganger of vin like vin is the imposter as well but that goes against our current understanding of chandra so i don't know where to go in that but yeah okay i I get that i think that something that's important to point out especially as we go through these chapters is that like ellen is having trouble juggling responsibility to state and to people to like independent people right like that's been a big trouble that he struggles with, especially when we get to Vin and him in the last chapter this week in the courtroom, right? Like the yeah. fact that he hasn't even had time to talk to her about it. And he apologizes for all of that. And I think that this is just another one of those notes where it's like, I thought I told you about it. I'm so sorry, you know, kind of. Yeah, but he hasn't been forgetful like that. This is the only time where it seems like he's been forgetful or like misremembered something. Everything else, he's just been kind of scatterbrained and stretched a little bit too thin but i think i think viewing forgetful and scatterbrained as close as a reasonable sc- I, I think scatterbrain was yeah. probably a mistake well, to he has use been as i think he's, he's been scatterbrained though like with the letters and everything else and like not paying attention and then like missing obvious things yeah maybe i don't know it's just tweaking something for me okay yeah tweaking <laughs> your paranoid nerve yeah. just like it would for vin on the smallest yeah. flinch of something some injustice or truth wow this thunder is so loud that it's coming through my silencing headphones <laughs> here's hoping i don't lose power folks all right but that all culminates in resurfacing of old emotions for vin right we're talking about these paranoid thoughts but it's it's this deep insecurity that she is unneeded and going to be left alone once again she almost banishes the thoughts entirely before that old familiar nagging seeps back in whispering leave him first and to that it will hurt less if she does mm-hmm. friggin reen's voice scratching at the back of her head again yeah i was curious when he'd pop back in again we've made note before that he seems to manifest there we go manifest again he seems to to appear in vin's thoughts when her confidence is really really low and what i find kind of cool or uh maybe not cool but something to think about i don't know i don't know if there's anything to make of it but it it seems to be kind of vin seems to be following an inverse path of elland as far as confidence goes she was Mm -hmm. she was feeling very very confident for a while while elland was really not not feeling it and as his confidence has grown as a leader or as an aspirational leader at this point (laughs) <laughs> she's been kind of retreating i don't know it's interesting yeah they've, they've almost been separating in a professional way to some degree which is impacting their relationship right as ellen becomes more of a leader vin is simultaneously having questions and doubts and ellen is focusing less on her and as such those doubts are exasperated mm-hmm. even though it's what kind of the country needs variously or the dominance needs rather yeah the city so Oh, man, Reen. 
Zane is on the roof for just a brief moment before he attacks. And this attack is most certainly different. He's striking closer and closer to home. And it feels pretty clear that he's testing her. And that by the end, he's certain of something that wasn't necessarily clear to him before. That they don't have ATM, meaning the, the city of Luthadel. And that Vin is completely vulnerable without it. I was honestly surprised by the outcome of this fight. For whatever reason, I was really expecting Vin to be able to hold her own with him, despite the mm-hmm. ATM difference deficit. This makes more sense. This is more realistic of what, like, what we understand of the characters, and especially like sort of the headspace that Vin's been in. And I wasn't really expecting, like, obvious, obviously, like, obviously, I was expecting Vin to hold her own, but I wasn't expecting. Zane did actually come in for the kill here at all. Mm-hmm. Like I figured this would be some sort of test, but maybe maybe a little bit harsher, like we saw. So I don't know what to make of it, man. Re- not Re- Zane. He exhibits sort of that floating again this time, and I was thinking more about it, about how how it can be done. Does he push off of two points, or does he just push off one point? I, there's nothing to say that you can't push off of two points. But I don't think he has things around him to say that he that he could or that he okay. does. Yeah, I know. I don't know. I, I know it's like a feat of strength and really, really impressive. I'm just trying to figure out the best way to do it. Yeah. Yeah, because Vin pushes coins in two different directions later in combat. But she's doing that from like she's pushing them on either side to like jettison them out. Right. So that's not so like you can push two things at once, but. Yeah, and that'd basically be the same thing, but if those things are huge and mm-hmm. you're pushing two things like out and down, you're basically just pushing yourself into like this point, you know? Right. Yeah. 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 I don't think that he has the metal around him to do that though. You're right, I think, in how levitation could work, but I don't think that that's available readily. If that I don't know sense. why I'm thinking about this. Because it no, I mean it's a it's section. a fair it's a fair question because it's like how is how the fuck does Zane levitate? That's weird. Zane gives an invite to leave, and it, it certainly is a temptation, but it's one that Vin easily resists because of her love for Ellen. We've talked about all of these different struggles and trials and, and problems here, but Zane is kind of trying to find a way to save her here with this with this offering. So that he can kind of neutralize the board as Straff wishes. Straff wishes for her to be gone. Well, a way to get her gone is to run away with her. And then the the board is even again. The knives are out in their own block somewhere else, you know. But also, (laughs) such a stupid joke. I'm putting myself (laughs) down for that one. (laughs) He also, after a comment from God, tells her who he is. The half-brother of Ellen Venture. And man, is his backstory rough. We were able to piece some of this together, of course, based on what we knew from Straff, previously being an absolute piece of shit and sleeping with a bunch bunch of young women and mistresses and whatnot. But woof, Straff again is trash, especially with how he treats his half-children. Yeah. First of all, this was a great transition of perspective between Vin and Zane. I really appreciated that. That's done really well throughout this entire section. I feel like there are a few different really great fluid transitions it's snappy yeah this section is pretty snappy that way yeah but there's a moment here that again kind of surprised me a bit he mentioned his father wanted him to kill her right away 
Mm-hmm. Like that's one of the first things he says, and she doesn't react at all. And it's only later that she's surprised in the same conversation when she learns that he's Ellen's brother. So I don't know if that's like just Vin not catching it, but it seemed like something she would have picked up on right away, you know? I think that's a bit of dramatic irony for us as readers, but I don't think it's something that she would even pick up on because she doesn't know that Straff is his father, right? Right, but Um, if if he says, my father wanted me to kill you? I think a lot of people want to kill her, though. I think that's kind of the the thing to some degree, right? Yeah. She's just not connecting. You know, what's the importance of your father? Your your father could be anyone. Like, you could see where that... In a movie context, like, if someone adapted this, it'd be like... Who's your father? Like, I don't give a shit who your father is. And you, the reply, well, they probably wouldn't say shit. Because, well, they do swear in this book. Never mind. But the point being, Net, I see where you're coming from. That is a moment that she could have latched onto it if she would have had anything else to go on. But I don't think she does at this point. Yeah, that's fair. Just something that... Yeah, no, I, I don't Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I think it's a bit of dramatic irony for us. Although I generally like a little bit of space between my dramatic irony and my reveal, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Not yeah. immediate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like a few sentences Personally. later or a few yeah. paragraphs later yeah. whatever it is that's that's generally my opinion but you know <laughs> i don't know but yeah i i mean i think that this reveal is is great and does kind of shift vin's understanding because now we we have this additional layer of her knowing zane and knowing what's kind of going on with zane in the yeah. back of his mind and that he's related to ellen and that ellen got all the prim and pop proper treatment growing up and you know, Zane is kind of this tortured puppy of sorts, yeah. you know, which just adds a little bit to that dynamic. It does. What what it also brings up for me is that he is very clearly, like, absurdly powerful. And he's had a long time to to sort of hone these skills. So I don't know what, like, a... We don't really have average Mistborns to some degree. So, I, yeah. But right. we know that he is at least at the same level, if not stronger than vin and vin is regarded as like the most powerful mistborn ever so like that kind of gives us a scale there's a note that i want to tag on here it's important to note that back in the first book kelsier made it very clear that no one's push or pull is stronger than anyone else's it's just all relation in relation to your weight and that like no one's no one's capabilities are stronger it's all the same stronger but I there guess, are some nuances yeah that make you better stronger was the wrong term I, i'm Most, just yeah i just want to clarify because technically speaking yeah. everyone has the same capabilities yeah most adept yeah I guess. just because you have a tool belt doesn't mean you know how to use the leveler you know you should man you should, you <laughs> fucking should. if there's any tool you should know how to do it's the fucking leveler guys <laughs> <laughs> yeah fuck yeah that's that i mean that's kind of like ground level you know that's 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 entry level journeyman shit yeah that's not even journeyman that's novice that's the first one that's intuitive have you ever seen like the there's there are several different like twitter threads and whatnot of like i similar to like the the bad like the down bad text messages or whatever like of guys just being like super you know grotesque and awful to women there's like another one where it's like women going into guys houses and seeing all the shit hung wrong and like not level 
and man does that piss me off <laughs> like <laughs> not not obviously more than the other thing but every time that you see like a dude's room and it's like barren walls and like barren like nothing there or like the couple things that are there are like off-centered and off-kilter and you're just like can you be bothered <laughs> like <laughs> mm-hmm. exactly i guess i'm just super particular but like you can even see with my skateboard here it is evenly spaced between the flag and the wall right and it's also measured equidistant from the other side and everything is centered like the entire room anyway it just drives me crazy this is a great example of that with the leveler thing anyway (laughs) that's all i had to get it out of my system Mm -hmm. we're good (laughs) but no, that was a good tangent. That was important. Yeah. But I don't know if it was important, but it was good. Vin is regarded as powerful mm-hmm. in however you want to interpret that. And uh, a leader among Mistborn, as far as like accomplishments go. And Zane seems to be besting her most of the time. At least they're like they're at least at the same level. So where the fuck did he come from? Well, he came from Straff Venture. He's, you know. And Finn's mom. Oh. That's my thought. You're suggesting they're siblings. I'm suggesting they're siblings. No, you hadn't suggested that before. You I, suggested. You I suggested of, that he's Reen. You toyed around with it. Yeah, right. I suggested that he's Reen. Yeah. Same same sort of deal. Flagged as a prediction. Zane Kay. is related to Vin. Makes the whole lovey-dovey thing a little creepy. I feel like, yeah, I feel like you and I talked about this off air at one point, talking about sort of a family triangle between the three of them. I think we did talk about that off air. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I you think called me. Yeah. We I can't made mention of that. Something like that. So in the end here, to, to round out this chapter, Zane gives her an offer to come with him or die ultimately as a tool to Ellen, a knife, as he refers through the stress and pressure that is coming in the form of refugees, as well as his hunting of her. Because eventually he is going to be required to kill her from Straff. Mm. Yeah. In his head at some point, towards the end of this chapter, he thinks something along the lines of she'll learn soon enough what kind of man Ellen, what kind of man Ellen really is. That stuck with me because I'm curious if this is something that he knows that we don't know yet. Mm. Or if it's just the same rhetoric that he's been bringing up before that like he's using her and she's going to see it one day or another. Like I'm still trying to suss that one out. What he actually means by that. Yeah. I think that that's a hard one to sort out to your point. It does feel as though it has ties to the rhetoric for sure. But the question is if there's anything more there about Ellen, is there something that we don't know? And we don't have a clean, clean answer there. Yeah. Do you, do you think it's one or the other? Do you think it's the rhetoric? Do you think it's something else? I think we've been in Ellen's perspective enough yeah. that if there's something big that like is his personality that he's hiding from everybody, it would feel like a pretty big betrayal if that just gets revealed, you know? like Yeah, he, I mean, maybe Ellen's a chondra. You had to look into the camera for that one. <laughs> just, just, just really <laughs> snipe it in at me, huh? Okay, now that I'm uncomfortable, let's just to feed your paranoia. At least you said it this time. <laughs> Does that make you feel better? <laughs> so, all right. If, if that wasn't on. clear, I just finished my bum boat. So, back half beer. Yeah, on to the back half beer. 
even though we are now in the second chapter of the week. So <laughs> with that, we move into chapter 35. With that, we start off with a logbook entry here, 418. But I do so now. Let it be known that I, Quan, world bringer of Terrace, am a fraud. Is this the first time that we've gotten a logbook entry, like, straight up repeated? So, I don't think that this is one that was in the book before, in, like, the tops of these things. It's been mentioned a few times. I thought it was mentioned in, like, as a logbook entry, and then it was mentioned as a book section. And then it as was a definitely entry. mentioned as a book section. I know. I know that for sure. And I feel like we talked about this specific note explicitly as a logbook entry, but maybe I'm wrong. I feel like we've mentioned stuff that's around this a lot because he's he's kind of pointed himself out to be, you know, like a, a false proclaimer of the, the you know, like a false announcer and, and things like that. But I believe that this was originally read off by Sazed when he's in the conventicle of Saren, not mm. in one of the headers. So it was read, read off by Sazed and then we got the big chunk that includes it. I and think so. Yeah. Okay. So not to okay. say that it hasn't been said in the book before, but I don't think it's a header. And I did in advance try to look this up and confirm it through my resources and I couldn't find anything on it repeating. So I'm not 100%. I didn't dig through every one of the chapter headers right before this, but I don't think so. I feel like it's a conventicle of Saren and then it was also again in the like big rubbing readout that we had last week and or the week prior because i think we've had two over the last couple of weeks speaking of the conventicle of Saren, i was working yeah and listening to the audiobook and i haven't done this in a while but i decided to like hop into the discord our patron discord and like do the live read sort of chat thing and I couldn't remember what convent- what the conventicle of Saren was called, so I just called it the Inquisitor Headquarters. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone <laughs> was, was like, oh no. <laughs> I, think it, <laughs> I think it was Ziva said something along the lines of, that makes it sound super high tech, but it's literally just a cave. <laughs> it's basically a cave, yeah. <laughs> Technically, I think it's a building, but... It is a I building. I think it's a building in a crater, and then yeah, there's no it, light. It's, yeah, it's like... Almost in a volcano, because there's a hill up, and yes. then it's in a crater. Yeah. They literally so use that it. term to encompass uh, the word volcano, caldera, almost. It said, like, the center of the caldera, or something like that, mm-hmm. I r- recall. Um, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, I couldn't remember the name, so I just said Inquisitor HQ. <laughs> Any anything, anything on this that, like, adds flavor for you here, now that we're thinking about it? I don't know. I guess this sort of identity crises a little bit maybe not like like outward crises but there's a lot that has to do with sort of self-identity and like vin sort of longing for these these dances and ellen kind of saying like i don't know if i could even dance knowing that people are starving outside the gates and just all of those conversations I don't know. I'm making I'm I'm reaching for a connection to the sort of fraud I, term. I think that's a decent leap is that it's it is an identity crisis. There is some kind of genuine crisis here that they're feeling. I don't think that that's that insane of a leap. But yeah, I wouldn't put it that way if I wasn't like pressed to make a connection to this logbook entry, you know? Sure. Sure. OK. 
All right, I don't, I don't mean to press you. No, 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 no. Into making a connection. No, oh, you're not you. pressing me. But it, it feels you. like F- fuck you, fuck you. <laughs> it feels like when I'd have to do like reading assignments and like note taking for like classes. I love being compared to an English class all of a sudden. <laughs> That's what you're doing. It's fine. <laughs> no, 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 no. Hear don't me stop. out, though. Hear me out. It's trying to find the most like. Just opening the page to something and finding a finding a passage saying, how can I make this important? <laughs> and that's what it feels like when I'm like, how can I make this connect? <laughs> you know, you're not in English class and I genuinely enjoy everything that we do here, but I'm trying to make connections and they didn't explicitly jump out at me. <laughs> 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 yeah i guess there's the question of like why is this here is always like the question with these kind of things is like okay is this like a metatextual mystery or does this directly connect with the passage is kind of the the question but especially since we've seen this before you it, it kind of points to it having some kind of immediate relevance now that like i just gave that sort of explanation did you ever have that experience or did you always like know exactly what kind of important connections there were it depended on whether or not i had read the book actually (laughs) or if i was just opening it up and then drawing connections with like a chapter of context okay yeah if that makes sense yeah that depended on whether or not i actually read the book okay fair yeah i'm not i'm not saying that i didn't like just look at a couple of pages and then make up metaphorical connections that made sense so ever because i did that (laughs) My point isn't completely lost on you. No, no, yes, 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 totally, totally get it. Yes, I definitely get it. Yeah, no, <laughs> duh. So, you know, now we, we start off this chapter with Vin dressing up, and it's it's kind of this point of seeming possibilities of the combination of her personalities again, how it could work. Ooh, you don't like the tone? No. <laughs> Damn. That's, that's unfortunate. And how... <laughs> You can just go switch it out real quick. I'll restart the question. No, I'm just, I'm just gonna, I'm just. Gonna... You're gonna suffer through a whole beer, Crossland. You have three more of them, don't you? I think I have two more of them. Notice, I said I think. Excellent. It's better okay, than the mac so and cheese beer. Uh, I can, I can imagine. I can imagine. So how she could show off and kind of be both, right, to combine these sides of her personalities to some degree, the idea that this even could happen, and that this is kind of what she has to become, as, as kind of Tindwell chimes in, that her change is exactly what both she and Ellen needs. The sort of merging of these two sides are, are precisely what's needed for their relationship to progress. Otherwise, she should not have or seek a relationship with Ellen. It's kind of the way that she kind of dances around that phrases it. That's a little too extreme, yeah. but that's kind of what she's po- poking at, I think. So I guess pulling back a little bit mm-hmm. and going backwards a little bit, we talked about kind of, we we were at odds with each other a little bit regarding Vin's dress and sort of what it meant for her. And that that gets brought up here, obviously, but you... I believe posted a question about this on Reddit and I avoid the Mistborn subreddit. So I don't like, so I can avoid spoilers. So I didn't read through the responses, but did you get anything interesting out of it? I, I think we did get some, or rather I got some really interesting conversations and things like that about the, the sort of 
notes or, or the thought there. I think that it's hard to not have when when you're posting like a giant subreddit like this and posting a question that's in the middle of the novel, a lot of people are going to assume things based on the end of the book, not that moment. Right. Okay. And so a lot of the answers I was getting are back looking, not looking, not reading. They're, they're reading from the back to inform the front, not reading from the front to inform the back, which okay. is how characters develop that you don't develop the other way. Yeah. I'm not saying that anyone's feedback was bad. I'm just saying that I think that they were, looking at the conclusion and giving an answer based on the conclusion. However, there were a number of very also touching uh, kind of notes about the story. We had one comment from A Gamer Draws that I really liked. I always appreciate this part of the story as showing that you don't have to fit within one perceived stereotype to be valid. And that kind of her relationship with femininity was was very emotionally similar in that Vin's journey kind of resonated there. So there were there were a number of different comments. Some were just like, no. <laughs> that's not that's not what this is which is just it, it's looking at the conclusion not the not the progress or rather not the progression but then there were a lot of it was a mixed bag Let, let's put it that way there were a ton of different answers and different perspectives inside of the space but is there anything that i should avoid like could i go through and read them no okay cool nope. sorry especially the gamer draws one i can't fully read that and i would love to because i think it's actually really well worded and well put however even that it has spoilers in it and it's not to say that the community has not been cautious with spoilers but even the responses that were received and i tried to make it very clear when i wrote the question that it was in this moment (laughs) not not the entire book you know i don't know anyway Mm -hmm. i'm gonna cut some of what i just said out but because i don't want to just bash on the reddit community but it did feel not as warm as a response because people are like well the end of the book that's not and it's like damn that's not the point you're missing the point. Fair. So. Fair point. Tanks. Yeah. But I, I think by the end of this, we can kind of see again those two divisions that we were we were talking and arguing about, right? Like, we have the knife and the, the noble lady discussion again this week to some degree. Actually, I think it's just a big focal point still, even. So, did you have any other thoughts on on kind of the sides? I still don't see it as a negative to blend the two. Okay. Let me be clear. I was never saying that it was fully a negative to blend the two through the dress. I just think that it is also not allowing her to embrace her feminine side by basically turning this beautific thing into something that is utility as opposed to letting letting it be. It has to be a tool. Not every spy suit needs to be a cool spy suit. You know, you can own a dress. You can own a suit. Like, not every James Bond tux has to have cool flamethrowers in the wrists. It's true. You're right. But... <laughs> and especially the one that gets her back into it doesn't need to be... The, should be the one that isn't the the one that's like, ah, yes, even while you're a woman, you are still the knife. <laughs> like, Yeah. We won't rehash all the... I, well, we're going, we going to later because it literally comes up. So yeah, it does. <laughs> it's going to be fun. Because <laughs> it's incredibly relevant in a bit. But, yeah, I just... I. It's tough because it feels like she's shunting that side of her her personality. And some of that is also like Ellen's fault for not embracing it fully, which gets into the the point here with Vin's commentary around dancing and Ellen's response is kind of juxtaposed in a big way. And you, you totally get it. You know, you feel for Vin and for that desire to have the dance with Ellen since they've never been together. And you also can understand Ellen feeling like it would feel wrong 
to dance now because of everything that's going on and the way that he could be putting himself out there. And I would argue, to the same degree that we we argue about Vin, that Ellen has a kingly side and a personal relationship side. He's also doing a bad job of balancing those two things. Kind of since Tindwell, I would I would argue as well. But yeah, okay. I felt like this. It was sort of somber, but at the same time, kind of intriguing for Vin to sort of come to the realization that Ellen, like, yes, gives this excuse of like, what would it feel like now? But at the same time, he never, he never danced before either. (laughs) Like Ollie was like, he was consumed by the idea of his, by reading his books and, talking with his friends about how to make the world a better place like the the entire like this has been him the entire time to a certain extent yeah the the entire time that we've known him but he was known to dance before and so he does he he does say that in the last book they're like yeah he's like i've i've done plenty of these things that are all the same and he kind of like shoves it off as that in the original book well he's gone to dances before yeah but just because you've gone to dances before doesn't mean that when you have a new girl who wants to go dancing that you don't go I kind of got that impression from him from the first book that he would bring girls there and then he would just go sit and read. No, he, I know. I'm not saying that that's a, that's not a good thing though, especially not your girl. You know what I mean? Like not the girl that you, that you've literally proposed to. I know. I know. Um, I agree. That's, that's what I mean. He did do that though. You're not wrong. He did do that in the last book. Um, Like he had the reputation for doing that, Yes, which means he didn't just do that once. Yeah, that's a fair point. <laughs> this isn't new to him. Agreeing with that. But I just on the premise of like, this is Vin. This isn't, you know. Yeah. It's Rando true. McRanderson. It's true. Have they ever actually danced together? Like, yep. obviously not at a formal event, but like just on their own. Has that ever come up? I don't think it's come up, but they they hold fast to this. We've never danced together thing. So, yeah, that seems to be in the context of like in public at a ball. Sure. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't know if there was anything. I think it would steal private. so much joy out of it if they had secretly danced with each other. You know, like it would seem petty on Vin's part. How would that steal joy? Out would, of no, it? no, no, no. I mean, what? I mean that it would seem petty that it's like you have to dance with me in public in order for it to be like, that's, it's a little bit, you know what I mean? Like it would steal, it would, it would, it would make Vin seem. Yeah, I can. I can see where that's you're how coming I would from. react to that. If that makes sense. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm I think weirdo, I disagree. Though. I don't care. Okay. Because they're two different things. Just like dancing in the kitchen it, is not the same as going to a dance together. That's like, true. They are two true. very different things, but they're still dancing. And it's clear that Vin is good at dancing. And I didn't know if that was through practice or like recent practice, or if it was, just from like picking up on what she knew before along with her sort of increased aptitude as a misborn. I don't know. I think it's the latter. Yeah. Okay. She's not had time to practice. She's constantly, she goes, she sleeps for like three hours a night. Yeah, I don't think she's spending yeah. any of that time dancing. <laughs> I think fair. it's, I think it's mostly the misborn thing to that effect, but she did yeah. have a previous aptitude for it when she was, you know, out and about, mm-hmm. right out about town. So, so by the time that we transition away, we're, we're inside the carriage here and we finally arrive at, I think, Keep Hasting, if I remember correctly. And Set is already eating when they show up. 
And he's just got this like fascinating charisma about him that I love both listening to Michael Kramer do his voice. This was the one chapter that I listened to this week as well as just his so like the voice, the tone, the sort of brash nature about him. It's it's just kind of wonderful in a, in a great way. It's obviously very different than any of our other uh, main characters, but I, I really love it and appreciate it. What do you make of Vin's read on set as we go through the scene? And like personally, I, I get flex of paranoia everywhere. Like she is just absolutely on a razor's edge, ready to snap and come to attention. Mm-hmm. I think I like that descriptor, flex of paranoia, but I think that extends well past set yeah i mean general like we we see it more and more throughout this section and it's this sort of spiraling lack of confidence and second guessing everything but here is kind of where it starts and you see that sort of yeah paranoid inner monologue and it it begins here i think yeah yeah what do you what do you make of sort of sets brash nature at the dinner itself? Like his, you know, kind of like trying to put them on edge intentionally by starting starting early and Vin's read on that, that being one of the moments, uh, kind of the the like wandering waiters and all this. She's almost reading them like microaggressions, if that makes sense, in in that form of the the term. And she's taking them all very personally. What what yeah. do you what well do you think it, about that? It feels episode? unnatural. It feels rioted. Mm. But we like she's looked, <laughs> she looks, mm-hmm. and that doesn't come up. So maybe there's something we don't know about. But more than likely, I think she's just kind of in a state of panic in general. Mm-hmm. Like she, she's wrestling with so many different things. She's wrestling with her own like identity as the tool, and all of the conversations with Zane. And I, the Ellen she knows is kind of slipping away a little bit. He's changing. And there, there, there's a lot of change happening. And on top of that, they're at fucking war. <laughs> like right. they're being besieged by two different armies. Including this guy in front of her. Including this dude. Like the, there is a whole lot of fucking tension, man. <laughs> yeah. So I get it. But mm-hmm. it, my my initial like thought about it maybe not my initial not my initial one but second or third read through of this i was looking at i'm like this feels rioted it it feels like she is being put on edge intentionally Hmm. and it extends to later but she very explicitly looks for sources of alamancy and doesn't find anything like that right right she's not finding a rioter in the room and she doesn't she doesn't feel her emotions being pushed on of which she senses at other times instead of the, the sort of the the soothing the overwhelming soothing of the lord ruler and the soothing stations and whatnot so you think am i off base with that it. though like does it like does that did you have any sort of thoughts like that the first like your first read through or so so for me it was it felt more like a regression that we're already seeing in the character if that makes sense so it, okay. it feels more like because of the rean emotions resurfacing and sort of the doubts through the conversation with Zane and things like that. To me, it need, it leads me to believe that it's more of a regression on the things that Kelsier tried to build in her more than anything else. That's not to say that it doesn't feel 
like her emotions are inflamed. I just don't think she's being directly rioted. That said, these are similar emotions to that that could be rioted, but I believe it's more character than anything else. Yeah. We like way back, she was so on top of every little sort of aspect mm-hmm. of I guess she was now too. That never really changed. You're just saying that maybe she let up a little bit. And now she's feeling bad about it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think she's stopped, which I think is a part of the problem. <laughs> she's she's uh, burning out. Yeah. I, I think so. I think that, that to that degree, I don't feel like we're reading it outside of context to say that, like, I think Vin's been burning the candle at both ends for too long and is now experiencing that directly. Yeah. I, I love that we also get Set's rationale for chasing away Breeze and that it makes a ton of sense. And his general awareness of Breeze's intentions makes total sense as well. It's fairly telling and points out that Breeze's days of being a spy are done. The fact that he was like, of course, I fucking knew that the the survive like one of the guys who worked at the crew, the survivor. Yeah, you could throw any of them at me and I would have fucking known. Like, <laughs> who do you think I am? <laughs> yeah, that was a pretty illuminating conversation, I think, regarding like notoriety. <laughs> yeah right and how how widespread it all is so yeah and and like the the little bits on like all ryan and like everything else that gets sprinkled throughout here and he's like that's fine i don't care <laughs> it's just like a lot of those different you know yeah he's, she like goes on and says like she seduced him and everything else and it's like what yeah <laughs> and i think that we know later that all ryan is a rioter and we also know from this conversation that he knows that Breeze is a really, really strong soother. So for him to be this confident that she seduced him means that he knows that Ariane is a very strong Alamancer. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what right. I get out of this. Yeah. At least, at least on second read through, that's what I got out of this. I think it was a little bit confused first read through. Yeah, I feel um, like it's not meant to be clear. It's not meant to be yeah. like, yeah. But pick. knowing later on, like coming at it with that knowledge, it's like, okay, she's fucking strong, man. Yeah. She's talented. Yeah. This- I should stop using strength. I should stop using strong as like a descriptor because like you pointed out, the strength is the same. Yeah, right. Isn't that, I, th- I find that to be one of the most interesting things about the Alimantic power system is that everyone is identical except for the sort of deft hand in which they use things and specifically in their weight with pushing and pulling like those are the big the big differences for the most part yeah yeah it's pretty cool i like it you looked like you were about to say something big and so i was like you said pretty cool nah okay it's a half big thought nah fair okay so this chapter is it's a great philosophical exposition on morality and politics as well as the question of uh, safety versus freedom and where does that balance lie like where does where does the balance there which is an old hobbesian philosophical question dating back to the leviathan and the nature of man in in capital letters nature of man being a a sort of status or like a a stasis that that exists and sort of the way that things naturally level out but I, I adore this little section breaking it down set promises that he will end up reverting back to the lord ruler's ways including the subjugation of the ska yeah i i just i really appreciate this little philosophical diatribe that we have between the two of them 
you know, to be having in, in discourse and whatnot. Obviously, it's yeah. way it, date, it predates that by a long stretch. But if you're if you're thinking about things that were maybe in the author's mind when there were drafts and stuff like that, this is a part of that. Mm-hmm. It is a it, it's a great philosophical question. The answer is always freedom for me. But obviously, that gets really complicated when you're talking about an entire populace that you're in charge of. Um, yeah the the question isn't so much freedom or safety the question is more where do you balance the two well it's if you can't have both which do you choose it's not well it's not which do you choose it's how do you balance or unbalance because you have to have one in order to have the other without absolutely the i think think which do you choose is explicitly what set said hobbesian's point is different i agree right but set's point is which do you choose yeah, I guess I'm just trying to make sure that the nuance is layered in there versus yeah. the kind of like just blanket argument, which to your point, yeah, the people are going to choose safety because that's what they know and what they understand, which, yeah, to your point on set, I'm thinking more grandiose than that, but I'd still just slide all the scales to freedom, but I don't know. I don't know, man. <laughs> I'll take my danger. You are a big man and can live <laughs> and survive and thrive in a big dangerous society fairly easily. I don't know. I'm pretty fragile. <laughs> Let's be real. <laughs> it's true. The, the amount of injuries that you've suffered um, in your life is more in the, in the last decade. Let's put it that way. Oh, if it weren't for my fucking ankles, you'd have me beaten pretty handily. Mm. I'm also really clumsy and super top heavy. So like, right. My size means nothing. Weeples wobble, but they always fall down. That's PJ's yep. slogan. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So the, I, I guess the the core argument here, of course, being just the this idea that the Scott and that he believes that the Scar are willing to revert to that because it's what they're used to going back to slavery, you know, unpaid mm-hmm. workers. Yeah. I, can, I, I completely see the argument and it's hard to my ideals are about me personally. I can't speak for like. <laughs> Ellen is dealing with the livelihood of hundreds of thousands of people and he is directly responsible for them. Like that's, that's a completely different thing and makes that question so much more complicated. Right. Right. Especially in moments like that. I, I really love how set throws down the gauntlet here as well and kind of like puts it on the table as to exactly what he's going to require from ellen when he says honest men weren't meant to be kings lad it's a damn shame but it's true that's why i have to take the throne from you it it's it's just so good and it's a perfect way to be like i love what you're doing but it's i'm gonna do it now because i can do it better yeah 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 but there's also the question of whether or not he's an honest man do you think that set isn't an honest man no i think he is but he's trying to claim that he's not fair he asserts a lot and often that he's not. Yeah. He instead replies with brash, I think, is what he, he says or something right. like that. Yeah. But I don't think I buy that. I don't think I buy yeah. the idea that he lied three times to him during that first part of the conversation. I think he's been very, very honest. Could his lie about lying three times be one of the three lies? It could. <laughs> but I. that's still two. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm just he didn't. He didn't say that many things before that. <laughs> right. Right. That's fair. <laughs> it's 
fair. And he's he's very good at like dancing around the truth. Reminds me in a big way of uh, Euron Greyjoy to some degree. Mm-hmm. Like he's got similar similar energy there for uh, a Song of Ice and Fire Game of Thrones fans. Yeah. Not not quite as wild. He's not a wild man, but he does have a similar brash sort of attitude. Right. I feel like I mean the, the, it also reminds me of the oh what's the name of there's a scene I guess we we do our best to avoid any sort of spoilers so there's there's a there's a thing in Red Rising the oracles oh yeah right yep the oracles yep I, I feel like that's enough information for anyone yeah <laughs> who knows I feel like yeah, that's yeah, enough yeah 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 right. I, I feel that kind of dancing around the answer in both contexts. Yeah. So this this chapter ultimately ends with the inspection of Set's employees from Vin, curious if anyone is burning any metals, including Set himself, and Ellen really pointing out to Set that there is no place that they haven't looked for the ATM, that they don't have it, that it's not in the city. Are you with Vin on Set hiding his allomantic capabilities? Where where do you land there? Do you think that he's hiding some allomancy? I'm still with her on that. Yeah. What do you think he the, has? The, well, and you can continue with your thought. It was just a- I could still see him being misborn, straight up. Okay. He clearly hasn't actually exhibited anything yet, as far as we understand the rules to be. Sure. But... Yeah, it could be a Duralumin misting, you know? I don't know. I don't know. But... Yeah, sorry. Anyway. <laughs> what do you mean worthless? Well, if you, oh, if you oh, just shit. can burn Duralumin, okay. <laughs> you okay. can't do anything. <laughs> That'd be fucking hilarious. Wouldn't it be awful? <laughs> It'd suck. You'd never know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You never. I mean, what's the point? <laughs> yeah, you'd never know. So the, the, there's a couple different points. One mm-hmm. is the fact that Ariane is, as I've determined, a very powerful misting. Mm-hmm. At least, maybe Mistborn. That hasn't been ruled out yet. At least a very powerful rioter, especially considering there's a lot that points to her being really powerful. But also, Vin seems to kind of write him off a little bit in her head, based on how Breeze was able to escape. Like he, if she was, if he was a Mistborn, Breeze wouldn't have been able to escape. But my thought is that Breeze isn't like a big enough fish, you know, to like to risk exposing. Yeah, yeah, that totally to makes really sense. reveal right. that. So I don't think that proves anything mm-hmm. like Vin seems to be thinking or idly thinks, I guess. Maybe she doesn't like come to that conclusion, but we're in her head and that's a thought that comes by. But I think he, yes, there are other ways to come to power, but with this is not a very progressive society to say the least and hasn't been for a long time. Like, it is more now, but, like, the Lord Ruler Society was pretty not progressive. Right. So to be, like, a paraplegic in the, like, position that he's in, I feel like would necessitate something else. Either, like, a really, really strong family, which clearly, like, that's part of it. But he, like, he's at a very big disadvantage, and that's, mm-hmm. like... Obviously, his brain's all there. Like, he's he's able to do everything. But I think in order to survive in that sort of environment, he'd need another source of power. It's sure. sort of my thought sure. process here in my justification. Okay. 
All right. This is one of those moments where I would love to chat more about a number of these things, but I can't. So when we get there, we'll get there. Yeah. And we, we can chat about it, but I have thoughts on this specifically. I will, I will note them and come back to them as we will. Okay. With that, chapter 36, we start off with a logbook here. Elendi was never the hero of ages. At best, I have amplified his virtues, creating a hero where there was none. At worst, I fear that all we believe may have been corrupted. Oh, rub it in, why don't you? <laughs> what do you mean? Elendi was never the hero of ages. <laughs> You're acting like he's gotten some kind of like despondent child. <laughs> some kind of, yeah, toddler with a tude. Yep. Yeah. Yep. A tude. Yeah. You know. You know what I mean. Okay. I mean, yeah. I I can I can feel that. Do Do you get anything else from this? Is there any? I mean, we we don't need to pick it apart too much, but no. I I still kind of get the feeling that he is saving face to a certain extent. I don't know. I no. It's obviously not this section, but there's maybe. We'll get into the into it next section, but I'm still trying to figure out like where all these are sourced from. This one, since we've have we read this in that big logbook section that says it reads? I don't think so. I think this is still a new one. This is a new one. So yeah. this one feels like it's actually in Quan's like it feels like it's in the same voice as the as the ones that we know are from the log or from the from the rubbings. Some of them don't going forward and like keep me to that. Like remind me. Sure. But this one feels like it's in the same sort of voice. Okay. All right. So we, we cut from the little logbook, of course, and then we're back in Sazed's perspective, tending the weary in an old armory used to orchestrate the collapse. He's kind of taking care of this woman, Genadier, Gen, Gena, Jean, Jean Dere. Again, damn it, Brandon. <laughs> I think, Gen, gendere? Gender, gender. I think Genadir is how it's pronounced genadir. in the audiobook. Yeah, that's probably right. That's probably right. It's probably way easier than that. I think I retweeted something today that says, despite all of my various studying and everything else, I occasionally still mispronounce things. Leave me the fuck alone. Ah, here's the tweet. I will never pronounce all words correctly or know the localized pronunciations of all place names, but I work very hard to get as close as possible as often as possible. So I hope that, number one, that will be enough, and number two, that folks might leave my email alone if they disagree. <laughs> That's fair. God damn it. <laughs> I, I've never hand, agreed with a tweet have harder. Perfect pronunciation, and if you disagree with me, you're wrong. Fair. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Point being, if you if you disagree with me, just leave me alone. Hermy one. <laughs> Fermi one. Oh, Hermy one. I thought you said Fermi one. No, Hermy one is not correct. That's not even close. That's ignoring phonetic rules entirely. Honestly? You, like, <laughs> okay. Genadir? Genadir. And contemplating offering spiritual guidance that he so often does in, in moments of conflict or, or, you know, in moments where people are feeling this kind of internal strife. But he's almost certain that she's past the point of needing, you know, kind of quote, old dead gods lending any kind of relief to her, right? Yeah. And this is just such a fascinating moment. It is. This is the first time that I've really seen him dismiss his, like, dismiss the importance of his field of study. Like, he reduces mm -hmm. it to esoterica in his rationale here. 
and it, it's I don't know it's different it's different than what I've seen from Sazed and his like interpretations of religions and it, it's still his rationale is sound and it's in line with like how I think he thinks of things but for whatever reason it just feels like a change it does have a little bit of that to it right i i think i agree with you that there is this kind of change in timbre where it's like this is such a dire circumstance that this woman is in having lost three children potentially on the verge of maybe losing a fourth you know that he's like what hope can i offer that kind of a person outside of real physical but isn't that exactly where like where these religions where religion in general thrives is in dire circumstances. Yeah, I I don't I don't disagree. I think that there is a large chunk of that in in even some of the things that Sazed brings up previously. I just think that he sees a woman so far deep in grief that he's not sure that any of that is going to be helpful. Like that she's so past the precipice that yeah. what she needs right now isn't some ephemeral hope. She needs physical goods to take care of her kid. She needs warm clothing and water more food you know more food yeah i've never heard the term esoterica before but Mm. i really like it yeah i thought you were gonna say you'd never heard the phrase to give suck before and i also also haven't heard the term to give suck (laughs) (laughs) oh man every time says it (laughs) yeah i i think i can see Sazed has, has never, like, come across as tone deaf. True. He can read a room. He understands. So it makes sense. Okay. All right. I, I love, as well, the little Sazed and Tindwell moment here where they spend time and Tindwell sees what Sazed really, genu- that Sazed really genuinely cares about people and is trying to lend them relief. Uh, Tindwell also flexes her curiosity and demands to see what he ran across two dominances for in this sort of big moment, I think. So it's not quite a big moment yet. It gets bigger later, but yeah. Yeah. It seems to me like she wanted to make sure that Sazed was actually like acting true to his word and was like striving for the greater good of the populace before entertaining any sort of interest in what he brought to her. We're brought here, but I'm curious where you land on this one or where I know you have future knowledge. So I'm curious what like your initial thoughts might have been in reading sort of this interaction, because it, it feels like this is a point where Tindwell really kind of shifts outlooks, I guess. I think some of that is the soothing, right? That's going on from Breeze, um, yeah. which is a gentle touch as we're, we're informed when we shift to his perspective in a second. But I think that's ultimately why we get a slightly different tone from her. But I I also think that this kind of marks a moment in which Tindwill is finally considering the options that are in front of her. And she has now gone and done her best to make Ellen to king and sees that we're we're not quite there yet. I know that's in the next section, but she's still come to this conclusion at this point, right? Like, obviously, we know that in like a chapter, but she still knows what she eventually has to go and do. And so as such, I think she's also searching for a reason to stay because she similarly believes in these people and 
I think she's maybe seeing why Seiza did what he did to some degree. We definitely get a lot more of that in the next section. But that was my my first instinct was m- more one of uh, was more one of curiosity, not of judgment or truth seeking. If that makes sense. Yeah, because I think I, I would. I, those might be harsh terms for what you're saying she's doing, but it's kind of the vibe I'm getting from from what you're thinking. Cool. Does that make sense? I can agree. Yeah. Right. yeah. It makes sense. All right. All right. But then we switch to this new fun perspective, right? That of Breeze, and we get a wonderful, like, two-page, just delicious, prosaic explanation of soothing and how it's less mind control and all of the nuances and sort of the touch touches of it all. And it's more like suppression and scrubbing away others' emotions to expose, you know, the the other you know, emotions that they want to make prominent. I just, I love, love this deeply. Yeah. I had no idea that I wanted a breeze section until we got a breeze section. (laughs) (laughs) Really had no idea of it, but yeah, this was super cool. It is such a good shift. It is such a good shift in the story because we've, we've spent a ton of time with breeze. And so it's just great to great to get to live in his head for a little bit and, you know, spend this time reflecting on, you know, it's, it's also not often that we've spent time with someone who isn't a mistborn, someone who has only a single alimantic ability. And so like to have this interesting and nuanced perspective on a single portion of alimancy is also something really, really new and something new to fixate on. And clearly somebody who's a master at it. Yeah. And it it it, it dominates his... And he, he sort of, I don't know if laments is the right way to put it, but he explains sort of the position that he's in later. In I think like, it's a lamentation for sure. Yeah, okay. I think you're right. Yeah. He laments on where his life has has brought him to in that he is idly soothing people just as he passes them in the hallway because it'll make their lives better that's why that's i guess why i hesitated to use the word lament because it was less lamenting about the actions that were taken and more about the fact that he has to you know yeah the fact that he does unconsciously you know, he's yeah. he doesn't regret any of the the actions of him soothing, but he he does question all of his relationships because of his constant that. soothing. Yeah, I I think I'm talking before they get to that point in the conversation. Yeah. He's I think he's talking more about like where the fuck did we find ourselves? <laughs> like yeah, that's we're true. thieves and scoundrels. Like why am I here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. How did I end up here? Why am I a part of Kelsier's plan in the long run? And I think I think Clubs gets to that point, or sorry, not Clubs, Ham gets to that point too a little bit later as well. So we get to see kind of a dueling perspective there mm-hmm. between the two of them, especially since they literally are, e- even in this section when like Ham walks and he's like fucking dumb Ham. He doesn't say that, but he's, he's just like, uh, and Ham is here too to, you know, be a waste of space basically. And I just, I, I giggled. It seems a little bit less ribby <laughs> when you're inside of Breeze's perspective. <laughs> it seems a little bit more like genuine anger. <laughs> um, but <laughs> <laughs> needless to say, mm. I, I find it 
that there's an interesting conflict in the way that Breeze speaks to others and his internal monologue as well. He really does wish to help all these people. We were talking about kind of that lamentation about how he goes through and he, he passes by and, and does all these things for people. But like he, he puts up this tough, ex- not even tough, this prim exterior of which is fairly delicate, but it is very particular and noble and articulate and all of these different words that describe his sort of, outfit now look on life and inside he's really just a softy yeah he's a sweet boy <laughs> <laughs> i just don't even know how to respond <laughs> when i read this in the notes earlier when i was on the couch reading through your notes i was i just i giggled at this and i was like oh it's gonna be so funny when it comes up because it's like you're treating breeze like a dog um <laughs> like he's a he's a sweet boy he's just he's just a little sweetie you know grandma pinch cheeks you know kind of so he he talks about how he might as well have like a pink suit on and like go all out with it yeah i imagine him with a pink suit i always have i've always imagined like a light like a really really light sort of rose pink not not rose like a pale like like a really pale pink suit like that's what I've imagined his outfit to be. Yeah. So that's, I I found it really funny to like see him mock that as as like what his his visage would sort of lend itself to. Sure. Yeah. 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 Because it does what his <laughs> outward personality. Yeah. Totally. Because it was baked into your head. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I've never I've never imagined him. I know he's always worn a suit. It's always been a light colored suit, like a white yeah. suit or a pink suit in my head. Right. So. Okay. All right. I, I, I dig it. There's, excuse me. I, I can't emphasize how much I love clubs and breezes meeting, right? It is so great. It's a fascinating character moment when the guy who manipulates everyone around him gets to be honest in this moment where where clubs can't be affected by emotional elements. Like we were saying, it's something deep down that he he fears and he, he shares in this moment. He's like, how could I be married to anyone? How could I be in a relationship with anyone? Because I would be afraid that I would be forcing them to in some perverse way, even though he knows that he doesn't do that. But it, it just makes for a very real character moment between these two these two people. And I think it's such a great exploration of character and something that can really only be derived from this very intricate magic system. Yeah. Or is this uniquely m- derived, maybe. True. This makes me truly appreciate both of them mm-hmm. to a certain extent. Clubs, in that I've always seen him as this sort of puzzle. He's been this sure. sort of stoic... Not in like the philosophical sense, but sort of in the stonewall sort of like shut off sense. Gruff person. Mm -hmm. And like it's always kind of seemed like he's hiding something. And Breeze being this expert in like emotions and understanding of people, even without his alamancy, like recognizes that he is a gen, like he's being genuine always. Like this is just who he is. Totally. Which is a weight off my shoulders a little bit to know that, like, we're to to understand we're not missing something for him, and I don't I don't think that makes him like a bad character just being sort of shut off 
but knowing that he's not lying about it is is i don't know relieving but also getting to see that breeze is sort of uh i don't know what attracted to but for for lack of a better term attracted to the opportunity to just know that he is spending time with somebody because of who he is not because of his soothing like and like is sharing these moments with them in a genuine way in both directions so i'm with you yeah i i think it's especially great because clubs originally wasn't going to do this because there was going to be a soother on the crew because breeze specifically was going to be on the crew back in the first book and so it's it's a great moment to see that they've become unlikely friends because of this sort of honest connection and i think clubs even leans into that a little bit like saying that soothers despite the fact that i cannot be soothed you're still a dangerous type of person because you know how to play on emotions regardless of whether you're soothing them or not and i think that's what ultimately breaks breeze down to kind of be open and and think about this and really kind of in his internal monologue because i think they go kind of quiet after that and just sort of sit in peace drink some wine you know also they drink wine cheers oh yeah cheers we haven't been doing a good job of that in this one but rather in this book there hasn't been a whole um, lot of drinking in this book, though. There's been a decent amount of wine, but not a ton. Not as much as in the first book. First book, it was like at least once a week, every time that they would sit down anywhere. So there's also a really fantastic reveal here that happens within this chapter that we've already kind of discussed a little bit, that all Rianne is an alamancer and a rioter who drives up Breeze's emotions and can push on him in a, a specific way. And man, being in his perspective when that happens to him is such a cool moment of panic on his part. And the way that he's clearly being like other emotions aren't being suppressed, but one is just getting flung up above the rest of them. The implications stretch much further than that, though, because this points to Alrianne having blended her alimantic side and her noble side, which again reinforces her as being an excellent foil to Vin because she is secretly an alimancer in addition to the the courtly puff and has managed to blend those into into one person. Yeah, I agree completely about the perspective part. And how like how cool it was to see that. And I think I felt that same way about Sazed's perspective. Like retrospectively. Mm-hmm. Because we know that like we know about because he he's he's actively thinking about his feelings and like we know what Breeze is doing later on. So going back and like rereading it, it's like, oh shit, <laughs> like this is how that manifests. In a very real way. So, um, seeing that here on Breeze, who should know better, I think, means that Alrianne is very, very good. Yeah. So, very talented at what she does. Yeah. We talked a little bit, we talked quite a bit about it before, but like the conversation was set about her seducing Breeze, like, becomes, this is the point where that becomes way more important. I think his understanding of how strong she is mm-hmm. while still understanding how strong breeze is. Right, I keep using right. strong. I keep you like that's going to be a hard habit. Talent. Yeah. Yeah. I also, I totally get inside of this, like the implication meme from it's always sunny. <laughs> like to me, there's just so much there. There's like the com like, cause he says what you dirty, dirty old man. He's like talking to himself while she's riding him and having these feelings. And she's obviously pushing on him and making him kind of 
feel i think yeah. guilt i think is the the emotion that's being rioted unintentionally he's also way younger than i i thought he was he's 36 yeah like that's not that much older than us what's the rule divide by two add seven or is it add nine seven i think no sorry 17 25 yeah yeah yeah, no off i was doing 30 and i forgot to add the other three anyway 15 7 yeah yeah 25 right okay yeah anyway fuck me yeah i did 26 plus 7 so 20 whoops anyway point being yeah yeah definitely still whoops yeah troops definitely still young but yeah he's not that old but dirty old man like he seems to think of himself as older yeah which feels weird i guess if we if we think about the perspective of the ska right they don't live that old and so i'm guessing in general life probably isn't longer than 60 years 65 that would be probably a very long life i don't know that we know that many people no, that I, th- are I, I feel like we talked about that well, because Menace first from the first book is like 40, and that's really old. Or like 45, right. and that's really old for Scott. So, workers. yeah, yep, yep. And so I'm going to go ahead and pitch that like 60 is probably, 65 is probably end of life to some degree. Oh, not, that's... N- not conclusive, but... No, I, I would feel like based on that descriptor, 45 would be like end of life. Well, I think a Scott worker has a very different quality of life than a right like a field worker has a very different quality of life than a half nobleman a guy who faked his way as a nobleman forever fair good point so and i'm yeah. i'm going with 36 based on double double her age right. it's not that particular like it yeah. doesn't have to be that precise so we could call him 40 ish and probably be fair he could also be 34 because he might be over exaggerating you know yeah that's true yeah, it's not it's not as though we have a birth certificate in front of us. Anyway, we've been talking about this for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> so this also leads us to nearing the end of our search for the imposter. Not that we're that close, ultimately, but it, it feels Vin feels as though it's this culmination. All Rianne has been cleared as a rioter, so she can't be it because she's an Alamancer. Clubs is cleared as a smoker. And Demu begins to feel like an even clearer target. We stalk Demu through the streets, questioning whether or not she should be burdened by seeking the truth. And so she leans into what Kelsier taught her and continues to follow on. Because she she considers just dropping down and killing him without like knowing the, the proper answer. She arrives and finds that Demu is leading a meeting with people from the Church of the Survivor. What a well-done reveal. Like, it, it is... Something that is perfectly like it explains every weird interaction that we've had and every every sort of strange observation that Vin has made in one sentence. Like it's perfect. So that that was really cool to read. Yeah. Yeah, I I definitely agree. I, I think that it is not only cool to read, but the entire scene that takes place inside the church, I think, is with with all of the ska is fantastic and sort of the mm-hmm. conversation that he has and the way that he kind of preaches to the beliefs and sort of assuages those fears right and and assuages the doubts specifically that they have about ellen and vin there, there's just a lot of kind of nuance and depth that i think rolls into this moment that reveals demu quotes uh character you know we we don't necessarily have an answer to whether or not he is 
the imposter, but at the very least, he serves a function inside of this church to provide them with hope yeah. in a in a religious way. So, so my initial read on this before the reveal of like Ellen joining the church, my initial thought is that like him talking about Ellen specifically and how like they need to rally around him and like make sure that he is since he was chosen by Kelsier to be king he should be mm-hmm. king that like got me back on track with like this guy's the chandra and like mm. he needs ellen to stay in power in order to be useful in his okay. position like that's that's where i was going with i don't that doesn't necessarily hold up on a second read through but i mean i th- i think even scrutinizing it you know it's tough to make that call yeah hmm. it doesn't do fall make apart of- on, on no, a second right. through, but like it's not as strong of a like conviction. Yeah, yeah. I I think speaking of conviction, what did you make of his conversation with Vin after this? Oh, when when she confronts him, he was very bashful about it. He seemed kind of ashamed. Yeah, and bashful's better than ashamed, but yeah, bashful's closer. But. Mostly because he understands, like he, the explanation that he gives is that he knows that it makes her uncomfortable. I don't know what to make of it. I really don't. He, he's been there for forever. He understands exactly what Kelsier was. And I I don't want to discount feelings. And I, I think he truly does feel in some way the strength of Kelsier in his blade making him yeah. better than what he was than what he is better than his blade you know yeah strength yeah. His blade Quote. so i don't know it's just irrational irrational enough to be like all right you you wouldn't fake that you know sure yeah i don't know i guess the the thing that's tough to pick apart here right is this is a faith based in a person who was just alive yeah. and someone who is doing real things and real deeds. And so there's this tough intersection of, okay, he was, he was a man, he was fallible and it doesn't feel like they're portraying. He's portrayed as fallible, not to say that he didn't have some sort of intent by moving the sword and by, you know, soothing and swinging him around and helping Demu in that moment. He did. Well, yeah, no, he explicitly did. But I all that I mean is that it's not as though it was divine providence necessarily. There's there's nothing that makes him divine outside of people's belief that he is divine in this circumstance. And that's where the the extension to I think his bashfulness is that of confronting Vin as the lady heir and Vin's sort of it's not quite malcontent, but like her just slightly negative deference to this whole thing where she she doesn't like associating with it. She doesn't like being associated with it as the lady heir and as this sort of next messiah. I, that, that feels like such a stretch to say, but like the, the sort of next embodiment of an extension of Kelsier's will or, or how, however you'd want to put that. She, mm. she doesn't like that. And I think that's ultimately why he feels kind of bashful inside of these scenes and why it also has a sort of disingenuous tone to her because she knew Kelsier very intimately and while 
faith in Kelsier is a good thing because having something to look for is what led to the downfall of the empire. The rise of this new religion isn't necessarily a good thing outside of it providing a hopeful lens to make sure that they don't go back to just sitting in servitude. Like that's, that's why this is so tough to parse with the church in particular, the church of the survivor is because without this a lot and without like Demu doing what he's doing, a lot of these people would probably just revert to old lives pretty easily. Yeah, they would. I don't necessarily see the negatives of this church being like prevalent. I don't know. What do you mean by the negatives of the church being prevalent? Vin specifically talks later about them, I guess implies that with Ellen's endorsement, if he were to remain king, they would have a similar, a similar position as the obligators. I think there is an implication there potentially. I mean, it was explicit. I don't know if it's, I think she's just wondering it. It's not explicit in the way that, She's she's thinking it. Yes, yeah. that's explicit. Yeah. I'm right. saying that it's not explicit that that's what would happen. She's she's imagining it as a potential outcome. Right. So from her perspective, it would be a negative. And I, I don't necessarily yeah. see that, especially considering like their entire point is following what Kelsier believed in. And that's what more or less 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 and less as time goes on, but more or less that's what their driving force is, you know, is Kelsier's vision. And yeah, so it's, it's definitely Kelsier's vision. And I think that this is just Vin's again, ugly insecurity head or demon, like rearing its head to some degree. I think that's what this is again, because she's for the most part of this section that we're reading this week, she's experiencing extreme doubt in a bunch of things and having yeah. a lot of kind of low points for the novel so far in, in her arc and in her journey. So I think it's fair to say that that is driven from a negative expectation. Yeah. So that's fair. I don't disagree with you. Yeah, I, I totally get it. I, I think that she also finds this entire religion a little bit deceptive because it's based on Kelsier's miracles, which include things that are mostly just Alamancy. It's mostly just the people that the Scott don't understand Alamancy well enough. And yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Anyway, I guess I guess the core point that I wanted to ground in a little bit here is something that'll come up a little bit later with with Vin and her relationship to the church and how she feels very used in the final chapter of the week. And I think that's because she doesn't want to be associated with it. Like despite but she she is and has to and and then, you know, like Tinwill has her like use it as leverage at the dress shop and, you know, she she doesn't want that. Right. Final question of this chapter. Do you believe that Demu is the Chandra? I don't have a better answer. Okay. So for the sake of the prediction. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'll lock into that. Yes. All right. Cool. I'm not convinced, but it's my best guess. Sweet. With that, we go into chapter 37. We start off here with the logbook 450, or the logbook, excuse me, on page 452, which is, and so I come to focus, I, and so I come to the focus of my argument. I apologize. Even forcing my words into steel, sitting and scratching in this frozen cave, I am prone to ramble. Gives us a fucking apology. And then yeah. like, I'm rambling a bit in my metal. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, we know you are fucking dude. Quan, <laughs> like, we know that you're rambling. <laughs> we just need some answers. Give us some answers. 
Yeah, it's interesting. So we start this chapter with inspection of the evidence and some further assertions of what we know about the Lord Ruler and the Ascension as divulged by Tindwill. I find a funny footnote here that there aren't any books for the most part because all of it's stored in the metal of their metal lines. And so they're they're kind of indexing and like writing things down feverishly. I kind of imagine them like when they're going through their metal lines, like going like robot mode and just like locking up and like scanning their brains, right? And then like coming back. <laughs> being like really like i don't know i just imagine it a very jarring experience as they're like searching through you know yeah it's a weird one to imagine but it's one of those things that i just wouldn't have thought of out like the explicit mention of the fact that there's not a lot of books here yeah like, I, I really wouldn't have it wouldn't have come to mind but it is kind of weird <laughs> yeah yeah it's definitely clearly different clearly a unique expression here so it's it's just a fun note and we also get a really lovely note within Sazed's perspective here that of his feelings for Tindwell he's he's very timid of course in admitting these things he's a eunuch and doesn't see himself as a man and there's that whole problem but Tindwell replies with just a love lovely comment of affection deep appreciation for Sazed being the one man who stood against the synod and their intent and plans who actually didn't remain neutral in the face of it all, as Tindwell might have if she'd went to the other armies, as we had kind of discussed earlier. And at her prompting, you know, so she she prompts him with the, the statement. I noted it over here and I forgot to put it in the document. Give me an excuse. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. my heart just melts into a fucking <laughs> puddle. Like that was, su- it's such a good moment. It's yeah. such a good moment. Yeah, man. <laughs> I completely agree. <laughs> yeah. This is a shift in our knowledge of Twindwell too, though. Yeah. And she seems to have changed since what we talked about before. Sazed sort of performing these duties with the refugees. And either that sparked a change in her disposition, or this is how she truly is and she needs to put on a face in front of other people. And she's like letting the veil down in front of Sazed now. So I'm I'm not sure what the reality is. I'm not is. so certain that it's not both, to both. be honest. I'm, I'm not be, so certain. It could be both. Yeah. To, to me, it feels like it's got elements of both of them, right? Like it's got components of all of that. So I, I would have, I would have trouble discerning, you know, saying that it's, it's not a little bit of each that she doesn't have that veil up because she also it also felt like she dropped her veil when she was educating Vin, right? Like it, it felt like that was a very different perspective. And so that dropped. And I think yeah. that at the same time, she also was uncertain of whether to trust like we were talking about just a couple of minutes ago was uncertain of whether to trust that what says was doing was worth it versus the the sort of danger that he was putting other people's lives into, you know, versus the, the task that was assigned to him by the synod. Right. Yeah. I think that's a part of it. That makes sense. Yeah. Aww. Aww. <laughs> it's so cute. I love it. I love it. It's great. Mm-hmm. I. So, any anything else in Sazed Tindwell? I think this is where we pretty much leave them for the week. No, I think that covers it. Yeah. They obviously talk about the book. They talk about the deepness. They kind of catch each other up on thoughts and details and, and begin to show that they would make great study partners. And uh, and as such, it, it feels like that's what we'll get from them in the future. But 
I really enjoyed the conversation on command that Ellen and Ham share atop the city wall, one driven around what motivates them and the legacy that Kelsier has left them both. They discuss Ellen still wearing the crown of a king and that of self-confidence and arrogance and the fine line between the two. I just, I, oh, it's such a good, good, lofty, hefty conversation. And I, I just think, I think I've said this a lot this week, but I, I love this chunk and these like meaty character moments that we get here right before this end of this part. Yeah. I don't know. How, how'd this make you feel? How'd you feel about the convo? What'd you take from it? I mean, I love, I love the meaty character moments too, but I think I prefer action. I don't know. It's, you know, these are important and these are great and they, I wouldn't give them up for anything, but I don't know if they're my favorite compared to like, the fucking fight scene we get later on. Well, I mean, you gotta, you gotta like tone things up, but the only reason yeah. you care about the, the risk of the fight scene is because you care about the characters. Right. Yeah. They're so symbiotic. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I did love the initial comment from ham. You almost look like a king and the <laughs> yeah, explanation the of what he actually meant there. Like it, it, it reads and Ellen takes it as subtle ribbing for like his current position, but turns out to be a little bit more wholesome than that. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's a fair point. I, I, I also enjoy that between the two of them. It's a, it's a fun little banter. Mm -hmm. There's still more going on with ham that I'm not sure what to make of. Okay. And I think it's breeze. I think earlier on that like kind of made note of it where he's really just not, not the same person that he used to be. I feel like he even says some of that, right? He does. So I'd like to dig in more of what, what's really causing that. If we can find some actual root, but we know that he's been cleared by Vin for using his pewter. So yeah, right. I don't know something's up with him but it's a thought yeah not one Mm -hmm. not one to drop so readily yeah the the sort of final reflection of this chapter is that of the legacy that king ellen venture might leave and i i think it's a really another another great moment here bouncing between kind of his philosophical core his outright optimism and his scholarship and he finally lands on the thing that really makes him different as a king as a leader and that is compared to everyone else around him and historically and otherwise it is his love and fascination with the fascination that grew into love of the ska yeah i think we as readers understood this but it's maybe not to the same maybe maybe we are in the same position as ellen it's good to see him come to that conclusion and really put a point on it beyond just the idea that he cares for the people that he rules. So maybe I felt like I understood that, that like his fascination with the ska and his sort of scholarly pursuits of the ska from the first book developed into this respect and, and love, but it's good to, it's good to see that very explicitly put into words. Agreed. Yeah. I, I I think that it is a, like you said, it's, it's something that we were aware of. But he even makes comment that when we were aware of it, it was he had almost viewed it in like an exotic sense and was more fascinated that way in the sort right. of exoticism and that that was wrong versus viewing them as a person. And 
a I think that's an important admission um, for him as a character, but also it's it's him finally acknowledging what makes him different, right? It's not it's not something that we're unaware of necessarily, but it is him becoming self aware enough to recognize that, not just you know. Often you might have, you might be like shouting at characters, being like, "No, what makes you different is X," and it's like, and then they realize it in the eleventh hour. This is you know. At the very least, he's realizing this much, much earlier. Unfortunately, it is actually too little too late, but, (laughs) you know. So with that, we move into chapter 38, our final chapter of the week. So here we have the logbook. This is the problem. Though I believed in Elendi at first, I later became suspicious. It seemed that he fit the signs. True. But how can I explain this? Could it be that he fit them too well? Hmm. So this feels like it's setting up Ellen for something, but I don't, I don't have enough to go on to like make a make a deeper <laughs> comments than that. Sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. I I really appreciate the shift in tone that Ellen has at the beginning of this chapter. His demeanor shifts and recognizes these two sides of Vin that we've been talking about, and also apologizes that they haven't been able to spend that much time together. It ends though on a slightly bittersweet note. He's going to do something involving her reputation. And of course, this new doubt, kind of new and different doubt, floods Vin. Did you did you kind of see this coming, see this emotional reaction and sort of the on on your first pass? First pass. What I saw coming was propose like a, a formal public proposal to Alrian. Oh. Yeah, as like a sham wedding, but as something that would formally tie Ellen to wow, that's yeah, that's not a bad idea. And that would that would that's what came to my mind because it would really f- fuck with Vin, but you could you could see him promising that it wouldn't change anything between them. And you could see this being like a hasty like what the fuck are we going to do decision between him and Ham. Like I don't know. That was my initial like holy shit, that's what's happening. And Thankfully, I didn't have to wait that long to be proven wrong, but <laughs> that's what I thought, right? Yeah, away. that's a lot of like, I, that's a that's a reasonable doubt to hold there. Hmm. Yeah, and that is like, I do have to add, I was heartbroken by that like <laughs> thought process, <laughs> even though it didn't last long. I'm like, oh no, don't this do can it. happen to Finn. Yeah, don't do that to my Finn. Oh man. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So we move from your crazed assumption and Vin's <laughs> sort of, you know, Vin's questioning as well and sort of her, again, this feels like a moment where v- Reen should be whispering in her ear, but isn't, you know? Yeah. You know, it feels like it's one of those moments, but it does have that similar kind of dark tone to the point of where she's literally whispering kind of Reenish things to herself, you know, like clever and other things like he, she's kind of embodying that emotional response and in an odd way but that happens of course when the meeting begins set declines the opportunity to speak ellen is going to follow follow him up and we see vin clearly tracing out ellen's plan as it comes together it was as zane had said she was a knife a different kind of knife but still a tool and she is once again wielded as this knife but this time is a political instrument hoping to use her to sway the crowd without really taking the time to seek her consent. And in the way that this is not a wedding proposal, but it's instead him saying that he has joined the church of the survivor, of which Vin is sort of the matriarchal figurehead, not really a figurehead. She's more of a mythical, I don't know. There's something. Yeah. 
there's something there. And I think that's, that's the crux of my thought process on this is that there's something there. Well, she feels guilt and like she feels weird about it. But I, I feel like there's too much weight being placed on Vin herself in this. And like, this is really, it's an alliance with the church. And that church is primarily worshiping Kelsier. And Vin is... putting a lot of weight on Vin inside of the story. Yes, they are. I mean, she's the, the lady heir. And, like, therefore, she's going to be an important aspect of this. But this is in line, like, everything that the church is speculating and worshiping about Vin is entirely in line with, like, what she believes in anyway. Yeah, but she like, just it's doesn't pressure. Like it's external worshiped. pressure. Yeah. But it doesn't change anything about her or anything about anything. I don't, I, I guess I don't quite understand why this is as big of a deal as everybody is making this out to be. I get a sort of Truman Show effect about it, right? Where, okay. so where she's basically being followed around and not necessarily hounded, but because she is people's religious system, her importance to them is is far greater than it should be. Like, yeah, sure, she she took down the Lord Ruler. That's a big deal. You know, someone should be idolized for for those kind of things. But a, a sort of a religion that sprung up from her mentor, and now she is filling that place that he voided when he when his like spirit showed up is is a lot of pressure. And while it doesn't immediately necessarily change her actions, she's uncomfortable with it to begin with. Like she she does not like that this has sprung up around her. She doesn't want, you know, directly to be associated with the the church. She ultimately knows that she can't sway the opinion and that she thinks it's a good thing for these people to have hope. She just doesn't think that it should be in her in this way. Yeah. It just, I guess, I guess the other thing about it in my head is that it, it feels like this is a regression from the progress that was made between Vin and the church and the congregations throughout the previous couple sections. Well, yeah, she was arguably forced into those moments. She, I don't think that she was making progress so much as she was doing the political thing because she was told by Tindwell to go out there well, and speak. But, with but also the conversation with her and Demu. Yeah, but that's just that wasn't. Demu. Yeah, but it's still revolving around the church. And she put yeah. herself in that position. Like, it, it, she wasn't forced into that one. Well, but no, I, she I wasn't felt forced like, into the conversation, but she was confronting him about it. Yeah, but she seemed to gain an understanding of what everything was about with it. Yes, she, like the yeah, miracles like, of which she clearly disagrees with. She disagrees on, with on it, concepts. but she understands it, and she understands their importance. And this feels like a, a regression from that. It feels like a stark... It feels like she has no understanding of them anymore. Well, it's I don't think that it's that she has no understanding of them the church. I think that she is shocked and blown away that Ellen is now going to be is effectively using them as a tool, is using yeah. the church as a tool and thereby extension to to win a political game and thereby extension using Vin as a tool. Yeah. Because I guess ultimately, that's, that's that jump that I don't quite agree with. Using how, the tool, how, how can at, you okay? Explain. Using the church as a tool necessi- yeah. necessarily means 
that he's using Vin as a tool. Like that is a He's directly connecting with their Messiah effectively. The Messiah is Kelsier. Not, not entirely. This is where I was trying to make sure that we laid that groundwork earlier because she is the lady heir. She's the inheritor of the title. She is, she is the heir to the survivor in that way. And all of her actions are being compared to Kelsier, even within the church. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Right. That doesn't make her the Messiah. That makes her. No, it means that she's like the second coming. Like that's, that's the way that she's being treated. Okay. Fair. Otherwise, they wouldn't like sit around and like wait for her word. Like that's, yeah. At at worst, she's an apostle, I guess. But she's way more than an apostle. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, I'm with you. There's a stark. I get where you're coming from. I still think it's not as one to one as it seems to be like made out to be. But it's not as disconnected as I was trying to argue it was. Does that make sense? When you say one to one, are you are you dr- saying the the sort of like Messiah using the church or? as a tool means he's using Vin as a tool? Well, I think he he is using Vin as a tool because for multiple reasons, right? Like he's he and and here's here's the here's the extra step on top of what we've said. The reason that he's really using Vin as a tool is because he also has a direct connection with Vin, and then he also has a direct connection with the church of which worships Vin to a, to a degree, right? Um, Okay. And so because he's effectively in re- in relations with their, I don't know, we've used the term Pope and other things like that before to describe these these kind of things, but with like a live inheritor of the whatever, the title, the Lady Air. I think second coming makes sense. I, I don't know of a better sure. term for it. Yeah, I can't, I can't think of a better one either. The living embodiment of of the ideals. I don't know. It's something like that. He's more yeah. directly associating. Like, this is this is a marriage that she didn't agree to, to some degree. Yeah. Yeah. It was just something that she was already connected to anyway. Yeah, but she didn't necessarily want to be connected. You know, like, that's that's the trouble, is that, like, she ultimately accepted her connection, and I think that's where we're getting a little bit disconnected on the regression is she's accepted her connection with the church because she can never disassociate with Kelsier. She, there's no way for her to right now. There's no path for her to absolve herself of that connection. But that connection didn't need to be made explicit as well with Ellen and suddenly make him an apostle to her, or, you know, like an apostle. Right. It's yeah, that's that's where it gets where it's that's fair a little bit trickier that's where that's where i really i really see vin being very frustrated and i i think that this is so important to the reason that she ultimately is so angry in this moment and i think it's totally justified yeah like basically what you're saying is that you're using me for political gain and you didn't ask my permission and didn't consult me beforehand regardless of what it is it could be her like going out and like offering for her to go kill a thousand people Right. It's still, you know, still yeah. a tool. It's just a, it's a different application. That's fair. It's it's winning at any cost and not consulting her. And she probably would have been OK with it. <laughs> I, I think she actually would have within reason she been OK been. with it if they would have had the conversation. But they did. Yeah, I think you're right. I think she would have been fine. Yeah. I know that I'm the one getting uppity about this, but I just I imagined that conversation going longer than. Yeah, you're right, because <laughs> I think it's a big deal. Yeah, because then the rest of this is a really cool action scene. <laughs> That's true. It's a very cool action scene. Yes. Yes. Of course, we move on from this moment that none of the votes are taken quite yet. But 
Vane inside of this the scene and kind of after the speech is, is noticing people kind of wandering around the edges and an assassin shows their face and Vin has to become the other kind of knife, the protective one. And she even growls that Vin notices inside of his perspective before she begins to disassemble the attackers. I like the terminology, first of all. I think it makes a ton of sense. <laughs> it does. Going into this was another one of those paranoia monologues. From mm-hmm. Vin, from Vin's perspective that we talked about earlier, and I, I really appreciated the way that that sort of ends with something along the lines of like, why are those men moving around on the outside? And then I think it switches to Ellen. Switches to Ellen for like a page and a half. Yeah, yeah, and then switches back, but or it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah it does. It's it's like a it it's does. like a page and a half. And when we switch to Ellen, it's the end of his speech. And then we switch back when the attackers are kind of, you know, yeah. really revealed. Yeah. I'm really liking how Branderson, like, plays with perspectives here. Because it, it it's not the same structure that we've been used to of, like, large chunks of perspective isolated. This is, like, almost yeah, playing with POV omniscience. chapters versus... Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's almost playing with omniscience. Yeah. But... Without dipping into that. It's third person limited, but at the same time, it's it's flipping, you know. In theory, most authors would, you know, use like asterisks to break up like different perspective flips and stuff like that. We obviously have big text space or chapters, but he does it so quickly in these moments where he like flips perspectives that like mm-hmm. you wouldn't want a page chapter from Ellen's perspective. That that would be unsatisfying. It'd feel really dumb to like flip and have a chapter, yeah. which is why it's great to have like this little like line break page and a half. Yeah. Styling. And it feels like it, it feels natural. And I I don't know. I don't know enough about like writing to know if this is like bad form or good form or just kind of mastery of perspective but it feels very good if you liked it it's good form okay cool that's that's kind of the true truthfully that is more often than not the rule is if it works it's good if it doesn't work and you broke rules if it doesn't work and you broke rules then it's not good i like corn dogs so i don't know where that leads me (laughs) (laughs) i don't even know where that entered this conversation um i mean but corn dogs kind of bullshit they're not good but i like them so does that make them good i don't think corn dogs are bullshit but you like them so it makes them good (laughs) to you yeah this this is that whole thing with where like okay there's there's a big meta argument that exists inside of the writing community community which is never write in second perspective right never write saying like you are doing this especially if you're within a character's head and like putting you and I in a character's head right and saying like you're walking down the hallway and and you have this conversation you look over to her and you feel second second person is generally like shunned inside of the the writing community for various reasons however there have been a couple of very successful books over the last two decades that have been in second person where everyone was like fuck we were wrong and it's because it's done well that it it makes a world of difference if that makes sense. So if it worked, no one's gonna no one's gonna give a shit as long as you stay consistent. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So 
there's there's my explanation for the reasonable third person perspective page flips it's also generally a ya thing ya books do this more frequently that's not a universal rule but like most of the books that i grew up reading when they had multiple characters they would sometimes do that so okay yeah king does it sometimes but he generally does more than a page and a half with his characters because all of his books are fucking tomes so anyway so ellen of course tries to fend off, fend off one of the thugs with his dueling cane is easily blown back then jumping in to protect him and doing her best to preserve the life of those in the crowd that limitation obviously hinders her ability to deal with coin shots and lurchers quickly but it leads to a very incredibly almost like a dance-like scene right yeah she she still gets to benefit from the fact that she could spray coins at any moment <laughs> So, like, it forces them into a position where they can protect themselves from from that attack. So that's a positive, which mm-hmm. is great. But despite, like, just ignoring everything, what a fucking machine Vin is. Yeah. <laughs> fucking brutal. <laughs> absolutely. She is absolutely incredibly destructive inside of this moment you know she she burns Duralamin at at one point she burns Duralamin twice in this fight right she does yeah so the first time she uses it to burn out pewter and the second time she also uses it to burn out pewter right yeah so this is something that i actually really appreciate from branderson here because he explicitly mentions it and it's something that hadn't been mentioned before and is counter to what I understood about Duralumin in that Duralumin doesn't entirely get depleted when used. Right. The metal that's being burned does. And this is where it gets really explicit with that. Yeah. He, he explicitly says that it doesn't use all of the Duralumin, which was new to me, but I like rules, man. <laughs> I really like rules, so I'm I'm appreciative of him not just kind of of him recognizing that it wasn't clear and not just adding or not just kind of going through with this because it feels counter to what I assumed the rules to be. So, I don't know. It's verbose, but No, I I, I think it's good, and I think we'll definitely get to it especially when we get to the moment you know where it all goes it all goes south but she obviously is using all these metals she burns up her pewter with with the duralumin push and the lurcher rips away a bottle of backup metals that was tucked inside of her dress sleeve because she always has to be prepared for these kind of things or sore then jumps and bites a thug and presents a hidden vial from his flesh for vin just like separating that so that she can pull it out and and drink it and this is so cool but then on top of that she brutally kills a thug in front of her boyfriend killing it by sticking her finger through his eye and stabbing a dagger into his chest like poking through into his brain like and and there's like the squishes and it's just oh oh (laughs) so i'm going to address the point with orsur here he's able to attack humans but not kill them is that the point i believe that would be the yeah okay the deal. Like, I, I couldn't remember specifically what the... You know, he can't kill. Yeah. He can't kill them. I thought, for some reason, like, while while I was reading this, I thought he couldn't harm humans. No. Kill. Kill. It's just kill. Yep. Yep. So could he... What if cannot he be accidentally kill? kills someone? As stated, I think it said, cannot be ordered to kill. It does say that. I think that's but, right. But also, later on... It says the contract forbids 
Chondra from killing humans. Correct. Yes, I believe that is the contradiction that you said it a couple of times. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, right. So he's able to he's able to hurt them, mm-hmm. but not kill them. So Chondra could be torturers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Good to know. Keep that in mind. <laughs> keep that. Keep that in the back of your head. Uh-huh. Yeah, I I had kind of lapsed on my understanding of what the rules were for that. Sure. So. Sure. Yeah. But I didn't know if it mattered anyway for our story. <laughs> like, is he beholden to the contract and all at all anymore? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That said, squish. Squish. Oh, oh no. Oh no. I can just imagine that eye going out. That's so unfortunate for everyone involved. So obviously the fight is going very well for Vin for the most part. She's burning through metals and, and she ultimately at one point breaks the thug's leg. He falls on the ground. She then goes and deals with the coin shots of whom are trying to deal with Ellen, who's holding them off with a dueling cane doing exceptionally well compared to how she expected him to be doing considering his lack of experience, but he's had some training under his belt. Now I think we get a, we get a timeline clarification here too of like two months or something like that. Anyway, not overly important, but or maybe it's something like two months ago he couldn't have done that, but now he's doing better. Something like that. But she is then, after after they dispatch those, she is then assaulted by the thug she was fighting earlier and who she had neglected to fight off. She then has to burn that Duralman and launch through his head, headbutting his skull clean off, smashed into little bits. Oh my god. So fucking metal. <laughs> this is insane. holy shit dude (laughs) this is extreme like this is the most brutal kill yeah this is this is horrifying this is something that's like cartoonish almost in gore this is like a the boys moment you know like this is like this is totally one of those explodey head moments of like you said almost cartoonish gore but it also it, it makes perfect sense. It's very believable, but it's just like dude's head was pulverized from a headbutt. Yeah. So before she like while while she's being strangled, and I think after she recognizes that like this is the one that she broke his leg mm-hmm. and like had lost track of, she makes mention that like she recognizes him from something. Yeah. Yep. And it's the thug. And there were thugs dressed as servers for set. Hmm. Yep. So that's my current theory. This was one of set's thugs. Okay. But it's going off of basically nothing. All right. Contextually. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that is, that is kind of the question that Vin has. They don't have anything to pick up and identify him with, though. That's true. But... <laughs> But she'll wake up and potentially continue that thought process. Right, right. I just mean, it's not as though she has a, you know, hell, probably don't even have like molars to go on. You think she pulverized their molars? Oh, yeah. This dude is, this dude is a pancake. This dude's head (laughs) is a pancake. That was, it was Duralamin. It's a Duralamin pewter burn. Like it's full force, you know? It's fucking ridiculous is what Mm -hmm. it is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because he was burning pewter, which means he should have been able to resist it and take it, you know? 
Like, that's the other part of this is like he was reinforced because she couldn't push. She couldn't fully push off of him. She expected him to like flinch more when she like jumped on him. And that's where it's like the disadvantage. And that's really the only big difference. Oh, yeah. So Vin, having fully burned her pewter and taking care of everyone in the room, passes out. This leaves us with Ellen left in absolute horror of what he's just experienced really kind of is his first battle. But I think he also walks away with this with kind of a, a newfound fear of what a mistborn is truly capable of recalling the, the horses from breezes escape and how they were escape and also how they were thrown into the air and all of this being done to protect him makes it even more disturbing to him. He feels, I don't want to, I don't want to like fully commit to changed, but he feels in, abject shock and doesn't really know how to process this and i think it's in a negative way what do you think so i think it's too early to tell what he thinks so far based on what we've seen he's barely experienced any fighting at all in his life let alone this gruesome of a death and the fact that it's at vin's hand or head (laughs) all right yeah (laughs) continue um is irrelevant at this point Mm -hmm. we'll see going forward i don't know if it's fully irrelevant it's still what she's capable of you know it's what she's capable of but i think that prime maybe not irrelevant but primarily i think he is in shock of what it's like to see someone die and die horribly and there will probably be lingering connections between that and vin but i think that'll i think that will be not a huge hurdle for their relationship it'll be a hurdle but i think mostly it'll be because i i i think it's primarily his inexperience with war that's causing this reaction not vin being a mistborn badass it i would agree with you that it's wanton destruction destruction i would just say there's a layer of this that it is also at vin's hand right like it is it is just a general reaction to that but i think that's where he clarifies that it's not just that this is what a mistborn can do but this is what vin did to protect him right okay and that's sort of that differentiation i i i I agree with you in, in conceit that this is likely maybe even a bit of an overreaction but at the same time he's clearly got something to grapple with how extreme or how far that goes we we can't really source out to your point right yeah we'll see yeah Whoo! what a what a magnificent action action scene though like a oh yeah fuck. super cool it's what it it's, it's so good so good Vin dancing around throwing daggers grabbing coins out of the air pushing them out saving people as much as she can and not a single person really not a single person killed that's sort of the assassins which is miraculous yeah it is by all accounts that's fucking crazy (laughs) considering all that she was doing to even protect like noblemen assemblymen that were around and everything else so yeah of course we move from this critical moment to that of the upcoming vote <laughs> where they the the assembly is very much in knowledge that if they if they were to have to postpone this vote for any reason then ellen would remain king however they do decide to pull up and do that vote right after this sort of brutal moment we accumulate the votes into a deadlock 
And with with a couple votes for Set, a majority of the votes for Penrod and, and several votes for Elland. And then, you know, they they ask a question about changing their vote. Two of the people who vote, the only two people who voted for Set ask about changing their vote. Elland and Norden share an exchange and a glance in which Norden knows the law, as does Elland. And in this moment and in this test of of character not that i think nor i think norton would have supported him either way and that seems to be the implication yeah elland decides to be righteous and honest and tells them that yes the law is written so that they can change their vote leaving for Penrod, someone the newly elected king of luthadel sorry yeah no yeah for somebody who writes and wrote the rules so carefully this seems like a colossal fuck up and not not an oversight, but a fuck up because this is a an explicitly written clause. Seeing that your candidate doesn't have a chance to win anymore and wanting to change your vote as a result of that is the exact reason why this shouldn't be allowed. Like straight up, the position that they're in right now is something that should have been foreseen. And he I, I wrote think, a clause that allowed it to happen. He didn't well, ignore, like, he didn't oversee, like, it wasn't an overlook. He wrote a clause in that allowed them to change their vote, but only once. Like, that's a fuck up, if you ask me. I, I don't think it's so specific to say that he actually wrote a clause that said that they could change their vote only once. It's yes. more, it, it's not that explicit. It's close, but it's more it of says, an omission. There is a clause that allows them to change their vote once. It, it's it's close. Just one second. I'll, I'll yep. double check. The clause was rather oblique. Norn was probably the only other one in the room who knew that well well who knew the law well enough to interpret it. Nod slightly, still meeting Ellen's eyes. He would hold his tongue. Yes, the law allows for you to change your vote, Lord Hebron. You may only do so once, and you must do so before the winner is declared. Everyone else has the same opportunity. So. Make sure I'm not remembering the word oblique wrong. So it's a slant on the law. It's not a direct interpretation. You can change your vote before a final decision is reached. Yeah. That seems fair if they're not progressing through the votes verbally, one by one. Like if it's a hidden. Well, I think that's written, naturally a flawed yeah. system, of course. Like saying your vote out loud is also a, a it's really inherently flawed system. Yeah. But, like, this position that he's found himself in is the reason why that shouldn't have been the case. And he's finding that, but that's right, something yeah. that I think he would have noticed, like, noticed as a problem. What One would, yeah, and I totally agree. Like, you would, you would think that there, there are a couple of different issues here, right? A, Elland wrote a lot of these laws with a bunch of scholars, and this is completely... I think it's still an oversight, regardless of however you decide. Like, it's not quite textually written exactly as to say like yes you can revote just once but it's like you can change it within reason before a decision is made it's an oblique read on the rule right it's an interpretation like the the constitution is in various ways the the sort of point being is that there are so many people that went over these things there are so many people that probably know about them that worked on them with ellen that this massive flaw makes it in and my only rational thought about how something like this sneaks into a document is because there's been a thousand years of oppression and there hasn't been a need for another system like this. So like there's not a good, 
there's no test subjects. There's nothing to really like look back on to yeah. assemble something that that would be perfect. Yeah. But that's, that's still frustrating from a viewer's point of view, from a, from a reader's point of view. So I don't I don't disagree with you. I think that it's man, it is it is a colossal fuck up. But I, I think the point of the fuck up is more to emphasize Ellen's honesty, not his incapability at writing law. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I agree. I think from a dramatic standpoint, I think it would have been interesting if the other person, like if they split, mm. if they if went Norton one and one. Like, no. Yeah. No, oh, no, if no. the okay, yeah, yeah, if the two, because it still mm-hmm. would have been, it still would have been a majority to Penrod, either yeah. way. Sixty-five percent, I think, is what they needed. Which, yeah, I, can't I thought remember. it was two thirds. Yeah, yeah, it was two thirds. Sixty-five percent. So yeah, basically, he got he got twenty or he got uh, seventeen, and sixteen would have been two thirds. Got it. Yeah. So even if, even if like one change to to ellen instead it would have been i don't know it's it is it doesn't matter it's also doesn't matter yeah i i agree with you that that would have added a little bit of drama and i also think the entire reading the answers out loud is intended to provide the same sort of drama right versus like writing it on slips which i think would be then again i think about it in like our congress congress does the same thing they don't write secret votes everything's public so yeah you say yay like go up and announce your vote so they shouldn't it's a dumb way to do it yeah (laughs) (laughs) but i i think i think the reason that our government does it is because of transparency for voters but yeah but you could vote all at once electronically at this point at this point in our like system you could vote electronically and go announce your vote later yeah yeah for the for the sake of drama and i (laughs) if you really want to do that but so it's recorded and like you voted without knowing the already like determined outcome right right which i i think is the the sort of the danger here is that the fact that they even knew that there were there was a two vote swing potential is what really fucks ellen ellen over in the first place so yeah because they knew that their vote wasn't gonna count like it's but yeah. it was but it did it would have counted yeah it it, it already cool. did matter yeah so yeah it was very important in fact it would have let ellen continue to be king yep but yep. of course i think it's that character beat of honesty that matters the the most in this section obviously i i love i love the conversation that this gets because it's like ah mother fuck because you just want ellen to win you just want ellen to win but at the same time ellen's winning cannot compromise his beliefs and what he wants to stand for as an image. Um, and now he has to stand as something different, you know, like what, what's he going to yeah. do now? You know, often I think of this, this kind of section and this sort of vote and everything else in the same sort of way. And even this entire chapter sands the assassination bit of the scene in the Senate in star Wars. I think it's the second one or rather attack of the clones. It's not actually the, you know, whatever who gives a shit. I think it's attack of the clones. It might be revenge of the Sith, but the line that queen Amidala says, or Senator Amidala says, so this is how Liberty dies to thunderous applause. And you know, yeah, obviously 
ending this week with a Star Wars quote is a bit odd compared to how we normally talk <laughs> about this, but <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's such a somber end to the section, like him just taking the crown off and putting it on the mantle, saying, "I think you might need this." Yeah, yeah. Man, that final line is so good too. He nodded to Ham, then left without looking back at the men who had discarded him. All right. Well, that is the end of part three, Kings, or King, rather, which is oh, it's so good. How do you feel about this week on the whole? How do you feel about it? I loved it. Yeah. Yeah, I loved it. It was compelling, thought-provoking, emotion-swinging. It was a really, really well-written section. Cool. Well... With that, we'll roll into PJ's predictions, but just before that, the next section is called Knives, so <laughs> you can you can imagine some context and connotations there based on what we've been talking about. So here, I had read through half of them. I just want to make sure this isn't pulling the man outside. Well, prediction here. What do you make? The, uh, nope, nothing there. Self end from the tree, promised. PJ believes that Alran is a chondra. Based on what we know about Chandra, that is no longer true. Yeah, fucking drink. <laughs> Cheers. Cool. Well, there are so many things that are left on this list, this list of predictions, that we have yet to go inside of the novel, right? And we yeah. added another one this week. Literally, folks, we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. 13 and 14 predictions that are just sitting here waiting to abuse us at the end of one of these episodes. <laughs> uh, so, yep. yeah. With that, we would generally move into last week's question. However, because of the sort of recording nature and everything that tried to prevent us from being able to do this episode, we did not pull answers for last week's question because we didn't have time. With that, though, we're going to re-ask the same question because this is a great week to ask this question as well. I want your favorite political turn of misfortune in a story. So talking about backstabbing in a court, talking about any sort of foul play going on in the background, being voted out. Give me give me your political drama in in your favorite series. So perfect. With that, next week we are going to be reading chapters 39 through 42. It's kind of a short week next week after this week's like 76 page section. So 56 pages or so. So 39 through 42. So that's where we'll leave you for this week. Thank you, as always, to our producers, Tim and Andrew, for helping us keep our show's lights on. Check out all the links in the show notes. You can find our schedule, Patreon, previous episodes, website, and social media accounts all in one very convenient location. And also, you should be able to start checking out our drinks more often on the website as well. Make sure you give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter. We post a lot of stuff there, including some giveaways. And I think we'll probably do one in May again, I think. We haven't really fully worked out, but we want to we want to do something a little bit. Yeah. A little bit different. We'll do different. something. Something. Something soon. With that, so you can find us on uh, Twitter and Instagram, as I mentioned, at Words Whiskey Pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Reddit. You can send us an email with your answer to the question of the week, any comments or feedback or anything like that that you want to send us at 
wordsandwhiskeyshow at gmail.com. And also you can support us on our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash wordsandwhiskey. We have a number of things going on there, some fun shows that we release, and some of those will be coming public pretty soon. So it'll be a good time beyond that if you're listening to us on whatever podcatcher you do if they've got a rating system leave us in any podcast you like a rating it greatly impacts our searchability and i can already tell you that it has boosted our search rating enormously inside of spotify so definitely get those in do it ah thank you so much for your support it means the world to us and we will see you next week see you next week folks 